Nameless as I am, I've got a terrific title. The Ghost of Christmas Past. Has that hit you? It doesn't. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And uh, yeah, uh, we're doing our holiday episode. Um, hooray! Not not so much hooray. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, welcome welcome to Strange Highways. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about the road less traveled uh, last week. Uh, interesting episode, uh, even though it was a little mangled, and we got into reasons why. Um, but still, we're worthy of discussion. Hope you enjoyed that. But yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, this is an anthology-based podcast where we talk about the Twilight Zone mainly. Uh, we discovered, discovered, discussed the original series, and we're now halfway through season two of the 80s iteration. However, with this holiday episode, uh, we're taking a diversion. Uh, and uh, it is a movie that I, I'm sure I heard of in passing whenever doing all things Twilight Zone, but it never, like, I just... I don't know. Didn't occur to me until a friend of ours, the El Goro of the talk without rhythm podcast said, Hey, have you heard of this film? And it was called Carol for another Christmas from 1964. It was a made for TV movie written by Rod Serling. And I'm like, uh, no. And so then Terry and I decided to cover it for the show thinking, you know what? It's probably just the feel good movie of 1964. And we were right. Well, which is interesting too, in the same aspect, because um, somebody, a particular actor um, that we've discussed in a prior episode, was a part of this. So, like, we'll, we'll get into that. But it's like, yeah. I, I just think that the um, the episode name, or I'm sorry, the movie name, doesn't really give us like the tie that we usually are um, looking for. You know, so it's yeah, like, and I, oh, and, and, damn, yeah, it, it's like it. It makes sense once we get to what it is because, like, it is. Um, it's trying to be more hopeful. Right. Admit that even if what we're about to talk about, maybe will not be, but we'll get into the context of it as well. But yeah, this, the, everybody tuck in, uh, this, uh, this was a made for TV movie. I'm sure if you, I, I, I think it's something you could probably find on like online. Um, this was, um, uh, this was presented to us that, that Terry and I were able to watch it. Um, it was from a Turner classic movies, uh, broadcast. Uh, but I'm going to guess that because Turner, they, they've been broadcasting this now, every year uh since i have it in my notes here because it actually this film when it debuted it didn't re-air until um oh where where i have it here uh it was uh, quite a while later right so anyway it, until like the late 2000s and I, I probably have my my actual notes here it is my apologies it, it, well yeah. i will say to our listeners here if you are looking for it sorry 2012 it, it didn't get broadcast again until 2012 after 1964 so turner classic movies is broadcasted again generally yearly every time 
since yeah, then. Yeah, if it's difficult to find otherwise, uh, it is available on YouTube. So, okay, good. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if there is a physical media of this, but yeah, if yeah, you there's need to not. find it. Yeah, so yeah. as of right now, at least according to the Wikimedia, Wikimedia, Wikipedia, Wikimedia, that should be the, the page for about this, right? Because it's about media. Wikimedia. Wikimedia, a Wikipedia page. Uh, it uh, it says it has not had a physical release, but it was also available on HBO Max. I did not confirm that, but if it's on YouTube, go. I, di- I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see it on, because uh, I have a Max account, so I did not see it on there, but. Likewise, it is still available on some kind of streaming services. Yeah, you guys can find YouTube, it. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and I'd say, you know, this is a movie that is definitely worth a watch. Um, and I will say that it's definitely worth probably just one watch because you, we'll talk about it. But I think it's an important film to get to. And the fact that we have yeah. a second uh, Sterling Christmas-based thing to talk about, I didn't think we'd get another one. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this is a gift in a lot of ways, um, but we'll, we'll get into it. So yeah, uh, air date was December 28th, 1964. So, you know, at least it air on like Christmas day. Could you imagine everyone's like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to watch this Rod Sterling or the Twilight Zone guys. Pretty great. And then it's over and everyone's like, all right, well, I guess, I guess we're just, no, we're done now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like at least they waited till after Christmas to air it. Well, I yeah. mean, they could still somewhat feel miserable yeah. for, uh, New Year's Eve, but not so miserable, I guess. Because <laughs> um, I think I think this was aired on was it uh, ABC? I think when it broadcast. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, ABC, uh, December 20th, 1964. Uh, uh, interesting part about this too, and we'll get more into this later, is that it aired without commercials. So it actually played its entirety without commercial breaks because of the sponsorships involved, and they felt that it was important enough to play its entirety without interruptions. Uh, but yeah, a number one song. You'll never, you, you will know. never get that anymore. It doesn't matter what it is. They're going to be like, here's a diaper commercial. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. In the middle of all this, it's like, uh, yeah, it, like they'd just be like, oh, by the way, we're now going to cut back to camel cigarettes for all your holiday needs or whatever. Right. So, um, so collect, yeah. co- collect your uh, camel bucks. <laughs> do, you, do you think that guy looks cool with the sunglasses? How, how about some marble miles? So cool. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, so the number one song at the time was I feel fine by the Beatles. Number one film, my fair lady. Um, for the actual 28th, I didn't have any, like there was a lot of like sad news around the 28th of December. And I was like, well, we're going to get to a lot of plenty of sad things as is, but Terry, you'll appreciate this 10 days prior on December 18th, 1964 stone cold. Steve Austin was born. That's great. Can I get a hell? Yeah. Uh, I don't like stone. Cold. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't like him. Sorry, man. Oh, I, I like he's like he's like one of the most real mfers. At, at, at like like especially now that he's getting old, like he's so real. But like I I dipped out of that generation of wrestling. So fair enough. But what was it like two years ago at WrestleMania? He actually did his like it was his first like because when he retired, he retired right, and then he actually yeah. uh, came back for a match against Kevin Owens, and it was awesome. And you could tell like Kevin Owens was like. You know, it's one of those things like is Steve is Steve Austin maybe moving just a little slower. Yes, uh, but and then the, then like you could tell that like Kevin took the 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 time to make sure that he put Steve over and, and Kevin got his ass kicked right, and that was the point. And he because one of Kevin Owens' moves is the stunner, and the fact that Stone Cold gave him a stunner was like one of those moments where you're like that's like 
the, the snake has eaten itself. This is amazing, you know? So, but, uh, but yeah, stone cold was born 10 days before this was aired. So that's all I got for uh, day and date that I thought was worthy of mentioning. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really research it. <laughs> so. That's fine. I we're so everybody tuck in. We, we have a bountiful cast, uh, with a lot to talk about here. This is going to be, it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode, but there's, there is a lot to get into. So Terry, where are we at here with, uh, who did what? Yeah, so our director on this is uh, Joseph uh, L. Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz. Mankiewicz? Yeah, Yeah, okay. So uh, he directed a a really important film, uh, Cleopatra. And he also uh, wrote the the screenplay for it, too. So, like, I mean, big creds there, but really not much more that I was familiar with. But, I mean, hell, like, that's that's great, you know? So, yeah, so the the big thing with him is that uh, he is old Hollywood. Uh, his brother, uh, co-wrote citizen Kane and brought him out to Hollywood. So like, you know, you want to talk about like having some pedigree and having being in the middle of things. He actually did a title work on some silent films, meaning he actually wrote the titles out for some of the films that tells you like how early in the business he was in. Uh, so he would have a lot of, a long career writing and producing, uh, he actually uh, was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director and uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay consecutive years for A Letter to Three Wives in 49 and then All About Eve in 1950, which I know that movie, people still talk about it. The latter of which was nominated for 14 Academy Awards and won six, right? So the guy, you know, had some highs. So that was 1950, had some other commercial successes since after that. And then you mentioned Cleopatra which that was in 61. So 20th century Fox, uh, was producing Cleopatra and, um, they hired Mankiewicz to replace director, Robert, uh, Malmillian, um, like during the production, Mankiewicz accepted a lucrative contract to which he would come to regret. The film, uh, consumed two years of his life and ended up both derailing his career and adding to severe financial losses for the studio. Right? So we talk about Cleopatra. We talk about, you know, um, uh, Elizabeth, um, What's, what's Taylor. Taylor, Jesus. I was going to say a Montgomery. I'm like, no, that's the witch. Um, and like, that was kind of like, you know, he, he kind of, you know, took it on the chin with that one. Right. So then, uh, after that, this was 1964. Uh, so a couple years after Cleopatra, this is the only TV work he has ever done. He had ever done at that point. So I think that's hmm. important to mention. So he had, so he had a lot of like a large, like, you know, a lot of success, but had like, like, a, like, you know, this albatross of a film. And then he did this. So this is where he's coming into, like after the failure of Cleopatra, he ends up doing this film. Which is interesting because I could see that there is a pedigree here in a sense that he understands uh, big scenes on small sets. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, yeah, so we'll get into our writer here, and obviously, a uh, big name when it comes to the Twilight Zone, Rod Serling. Um, he wrote this, uh, the script, and it, I mean, it's a great storyline, but it's also derived from uh, Charles Dickens. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it's so, a take like, on the Christmas Carol. He took a lot Carol. of liberties yeah. here with the Charles Dickens. But he he used the structure of Christmas Carol, right? I mean, like, you're right. Liberty, right. Liberties is the right way to say that. I, I do want to point out, though, that, and I think this is also important, that this would air six months after the last episode of the original Twilight Zone series. So right. he like this came like, you know, after the series was canceled, um, after um, the the ending that was the bewitching pool. Uh, like I'm just, whatever, I'll forever Thank keep punching you. down on that one. Aunt T, right? But yeah, like, so then 
this, you know, this was, you know, coming off of that. So he you, clearly, he still had, cause there was episodes in season five that we thought were, were amazing. Like, what was it? Um, I am the night color me black was a big one. Right. Like there, like there were still things he had to say. And this was also important too. We'll talk more and remind me please towards the end of like, there are certain political winds that were blowing at this time that Serling was writing this under, uh, that I think will color, especially like kind of the end of this. And we'll get there when we get there. I don't want like, it's not like it's a spoiler, but I, I, I want some more con. I want to explain the context when we get there. So, yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and even in a sense, um, and like, you know, like, I don't want to like give too much away here, but it's like, despite the fact that we have a director here kind of holding the, the, the reins, uh, Rod knows how to set up a scene. So we'll get into that. But yeah. So yeah. Um, our cast is led off by a Sterling Hayden. Um, he plays Daniel Grudge. Um, he was in uh, four episodes of Playhouse 90, which obviously Rod has a, a connection to. Uh, but he was also in The Godfather, and he was in Doctor Strangelove. So there yeah, you go. which that came out the same year as this film. So yeah, yeah. I, I, wild. Like because I th- that film looks completely different from anything else that happened around that time. So. Yeah, which I'm not. A, I'm not a big Kubrick guy, and people can come at me. And like, neither and, am I. And and, and, and and maybe I need to be more versed in this film, you know, filmography. But I really like Doctor Strange Love. That's a fun movie. I'm um, on the other end of that. I do not like. Okay, film, fair enough. So, yeah. Um I mean, you know, it was it was Baby Stone Cold Steve Austin's favorite film. I'm kidding, but uh, <laughs> no. So, but I do like because like there was a lot that went into that film that I, I think there's a lot of fun there. Um, but yeah, also. Um, he was in a Western in uh, 54 called Johnny guitar, which was really, um, interesting because even though he played the lead in that film, playing the character of Johnny guitar, like, sorry, the, like the name of the film, right? He wasn't the lead character in the film. Joan Crawford was, so she led hmm. this Western as like a saloon owner in the small town that like the railroad was trying to creep in and she had control. But it was like one of those things where the studio wasn't confident enough to let like, even though she was a big name to like, well, you got to have a dude be like, you know, on the poster. Right. And Johnny guitar is a pretty cool film. I'd say it has a young Ernest Borgnine, but Ernest Borgnine was never young. But, um, so, <laughs> you know, that, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> so but, also uh, I want to point out to you about Sterling Hayden. He, he really didn't like acting. Right. So he actually, he often dis, uh, professed his distaste for film acting saying he did it mainly to pay for his ships and voyages. He viewed his, himself as more as a sailor. <laughs> he would just like, just go and do work just so he could go out in the water. And there was a story of him actually, he had like a fallout with one of his wives and he actually like, wasn't supposed to leave the country, but he, like he took his kids on a boat and went to like South America or something. Cause he's like, I was done. And I'm just like, well, I guess you know, boats, you know, whatever. So anyway, See, that's some bullshit. I wish I could just be like, I don't like doing this, but it's a pastime for me to make money. Like, for me I to, play to fan- no, for me to I go on my boats. Football. If I yeah. could make money to like sail ships and like, like, man, that that'd be great. So what you're saying, uh, Terry, is that you want to spend all day being on DraftKings, being like the 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 one of three people that make money off of that, right? Yeah, it's like I don't like doing this, but I know the algorithm. You know, like <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be the best, dude. Oh. Like I'll see you in six months because I'm gonna go off to the keys. You know, like God, right? Oh, I'd love to be a snowbird. Anyways, um, we have uh, Ben Gazazar, Gazazara, Gazara. Gazazara. It's Ben Gazara. Ben. What did I say? Uh, well, it's Gazara. 
Yeah, Gazara. Gazara. Like, that should have been it. Like, that would have been, like, you know. It sounds like a Pokemon. All right. So, yeah, yeah, he he plays Fred. (laughs) Yeah, continue. Yes, please. He plays Fred, and he's in two episodes of uh, Playhouse 90 as well. But the thing I was familiar with, and, I like, his face is so familiar. Like, he didn't really age that, uh, like, that much. He was in Roadhouse. Yes. Like, he was, like, the main antagonist in that film. Like. It's like, oh my god! Like, um, and he, like, yeah, knew, like he understood the assignment. Like, Roadhouse is one of those movies that has no right existing, let alone being as fun as it is. But he he understood the assignment of being like the small town asshole, like kingpin. Yeah, I, I love him. I got, I got, yeah, I, I got into an argument with my boss the other day. I was like, "Dude, Roadhouse rules," and he's like, "That movie, it just doesn't make sense." I was like. It makes sense for the eighties. That's all it makes sense. But also, like, like but you, you just tell them, like, yes, it doesn't make sense, and you know, like, it's just I don't know, like, like all we need is a cooler. Yeah, Patrick yeah. Swayze being the cooler, you know, like <laughs> Sam Elliott. Yeah, we need Sam Elliott look like being hot lying on a bar, almost not being dying, right? And then we need, uh, we need a such logic as, scene. yeah. <laughs> We need pain donor. We need such logic as that, right? Yeah. yeah. We need monster so, trucks driving over cars in a car lot. I mean, come on. Um, dude, it's the best. Like, like I, I feel so f- juiced. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, happy holidays, yeah, everybody. Got, it's yeah. been like the first time in like six months since I did it. But yeah. So <laughs> F and juiced. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> He was also in Big Lebowski. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Jackie Treehorn. Uh, yeah. No, Ben Gazzara is in. He just, he just, you're right. Very recognizable dude. Uh, yeah. Like also like if you would have, if you would have told me that he was basically the stand in for Serling for this as being like the, 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 the moral conscience, like speaking, I, I would have believed you, right? Like, because you could have easily his seen line delivery seemed very similar to his as well. You you could have easily seen like, hey, Serling, we got we, we got a more attractive version of you. You'd be like, that's fine, you know, like the, <laughs> I get it, you know. Uh, but yeah, he was also said the, you. Yeah, well, I mean, I whatever. I you know, I, I wouldn't kick either one of them out of bed for eating crackers. But um, so um, <laughs> he was also in Arrest and Trial, which we've we've seen that show pop up sometimes with our older episodes. He was in like the bulk of the series, so that you know that's a big deal. But yeah, Ben Gazzara. Uh, a very recognizable character actor. I was happy to see him in this. Uh, and I'm honestly surprised he was not in the Twilight Zone, all things considered. Yeah. yeah. But uh, next here we have uh, Percy Rodriguez. He plays Charles. This is basically the butler of um, of Daniel. So we see him in bits, different scenes in that, but there's a more effective scene later on. We'll get to it. Um, shows like uh, Star Trek, and Mission Impossible that he had participated in other acting career, or like other parts of his acting career, but nothing real. Like, I mean, oh, are you there's ready? a lot of shows, but there wasn't like something like super big that I noticed. So, okay. Here, a couple things about him. Uh, he was known for his rich and distinctive voice. Rodriguez would be one of the few black actors in the sixties who was able to circumvent uh, restrictive and negative stereotypes. This is all according to Wikipedia. I'm not this smart. Um, he managed to avoid the stereotype stereotypical roles given to black actors at the time and was known for applying and projecting um, quiet authority and inner calm during his roles, as well as, uh, you know, for this touch of gray in his hair. Uh, he gained widespread notoriety in 1968 as a neurosurgeon in the, the soap opera, primetime soap opera, Peyton Place, seen as a breakthrough white-collar role for a black actor. So I think that's important. Representation's important, right? However, Terry, there's a lot more you know him from. You don't realize it. 
he um, was a voiceover guy for film trailers. And so he actually did, I hear, I, he also, he did um, the trailer for the original teaser for Alien, not the one where it shows the egg, but the one before that. Uh, but also he did, hmm. uh, according to uh, the Wikipedia here, he did the special release Star Wars trilogy in 1997. But of the ones over time, The Exorcist in 73, uh, Shivers, Taxi Driver, The Omen, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, China Syndrome, Black Hole, 1941, Monty Python's Life of Brian, Amityville Horror, Psycho 2, Videodrome, The Meaning of Life, Children of the Corn, Brazil, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Spaceballs, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, Dead Ringers Coming to America, Scrooged. Fish Call Wanda, Poltergeist 3, Pet Cemetery, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, um, and Wayne's World. So he actually, if you catch those trailers, um, you like, uh, he also was it, he did the, was the TV spots for Jaws, uh, and then a couple other things too. Very recognizable voice. It's like just, well, yeah. Quite a bit of connections between, uh, what he participated there and like our cast here. So that's, but also really things that you love, right? Like, so yeah, but like yeah. if you, well, even I, the Scrooge things, like we're basically going to discuss that's a, true. Very, a parallel kind of thing to that. Uh, but yeah, it's when I started diving into this, I'm like, Oh shit, this guy actually like, he's responsible for a lot of things I love or, you know, cause trailers, obviously, you know, there's memorable trailers, but if you go back to that original teaser for alien, his voice is just, you know, like it, it works, right? So anyway, yes. Just he's not in this. He uh, he does have one big scene in this film, but uh, I just you know I feel like we could have used more of him just in general. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Like I mean, there is a very impactful scene here later mm-hmm. on, but uh, so we'll get to that later. But yeah, next here we have a uh, Barbara Ann Tier. She plays Ruby. Um, only four credits that I had noticed, but I wasn't really familiar with the other. I don't know if you had something to say about her. So yeah, I just think it's important just because we've spent some time talking about, um, you know, our, our, the gentleman, Percy Rodriguez, cause she also, she plays the maid, um, right. in this. And what, I don't know if they're husband and wife, but whatever they're coworkers at least, right. Is what we, we, we know of them. And this, she didn't do, she did a lot of like theater and like ballet stuff and she didn't do a lot of uh, movie work, but it says here in 68 with an emerging cultural consciousness of the African experience Tier decided to found a new theatrical institution committed to cultural transformation, social change and historical innovation within African American communities, leaving a career and following the activist footsteps of her older sister. Uh, she founded the national black theater. Uh, which is still, it's still um, something that is uh, working to this day. I think her sister's now in charge of it. Uh, it is because she has passed away, but there was like a lot of important people that have come through. Like I know Maya Angelou and a couple others actually um, did, you know, either performed or did work there. So she decided to take her, her ability and, and bought a building and decided to actually provide an outlet and try to develop further and, you know, make voices known. So good on her. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so next here we have, uh, Steve Lawrence. Um, he plays ghost of, uh, Christmas past, uh, episode of, uh, night gallery. Um, Blues Brothers 2000. So get he, there, that, he, he was in the first like one. Too. That, that he was in the first Blues Brothers. So just oh, we, was he? N- okay. we will never speak right. of Blues Brothers 2000. Jesus Christ. That is a bad yeah, I, I didn't even watch it. So no, it's yeah. bad. It's so bad. Um, but yeah, he actually had uh, he had success as uh, a singer. 
before, like he was like one of these guys, because like, clearly that's why he's the Blues Brothers as well, because he's a performer. But he had uh, he was in the re- he scored on the record charts in the fifties and early sixties with such hits as "Go Away, Little Girl," that was the U.S. charts number one. "Pretty Blue Eyes," "Footsteps," "Portrait of My Love," and "Party Doll," which I, I remember "Party Doll." Um, and then "Go Away, Little Girl" actually sold over one million copies and it was awarded a gold record. But a lot of his career was centered on nightclubs and the musical stage. So this guy was like a dual threat. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed he did a lot of soundtracks. He was in Nobody. Uh, well, no, that, that song. But he's well. Uh, what was the song here? One uh, of I, them. I've got to get be. I got to be me. Yeah, I got to oh, be because wow. he, he did a cover did that? of that. He did a cover of that that oh. was actually better than. Uh, I for, I was looking into that. You're right, but that his cover of that is in the film Nobody, uh, which that film's awesome. If people have not seen that, um, yeah, I think that's yeah. the record that Odenkirk plays whenever you know he's leaving his house for the last time. Um, but yeah. The cool and the fact that he's the ghost of Christmas past and actually has a significant amount of dialogue, he carries it really well. We'll get to there when we get there. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm totally ready for that part of this. Yeah. But yeah, so we'll move on real quick because um, we got <laughs> we a lot. still got a lot to go. Uh, I'm sorry, people. Talk in. Yeah, we got a lot. Uh, so yeah, so we have um, <laughs> we have Eva Marie Saint Eva Marie Saint. Uh, yeah, Eva. I'm sorry, Eva Marie Saint Derp. Um, yeah, so Lieutenant Gibson. Um, she was in Superman Returns, you know, the the best one, um, <laughs> and episodes of Moonlighting. So She's still with us, by the way. She's 99 years old. She made uh, her film debut and On the Waterfront, uh, opposite of Marlon Brando, which received eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, earned her uh, a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Uh, so that, that, that sent her star skyrocketing, right? And then she was also in North by Northwest, which I adore that film. She was cast against Cary Grant. But uh, she talked about how uh, in the year 2000, uh, in the year 2000, uh, recalling her experience making the picture with Cary Grant Hitchcock, um, Grant would say, see, Eva, you don't have to cry at a movie to have a good time because she she was always cast as like the woman, like, you know, unloved and in distress. Right. So he's like, you don't you don't, you don't have to cry at a movie to have a good time. Just kick up your heels and have fun, which is the most Cary Grant thing ever. Right. He probably said that while handing her a drink. Hitchcock said, oh, I don't want you to do a sink to sink movie again, meaning. You know, she's sobbing and goes to a sink and looks in the mirror and then goes to another sink. Like, you know, that, it, valid, right? He's like, you've done those black and white movies like on the waterfront. It's drab in that tenement house. Women go to the movies and they just left the sink at home. They don't want to see you at the sink. I love that quote. So, well, it, yeah, yeah it, she moved her way up to being Martha. Um. <laughs> uh, hey, Martha. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Martha, yeah, yeah, because Superman Returns <laughs> is the one with Brandon Ralph, so she plays. You know, that's because uh, you're talking about. Um, I think you're. Are you confusing that with Man of Steel? Uh, no, she, no, she. Well, I mean, she's the mother, uh, so she's a Martha. She is a Martha. You're right. She's Martha. Why'd you use that name? Yeah, so she is a Martha, but she's still with <laughs> us. Uh, she retired like from physical. She did some voice work a couple years ago, but like she's 99. Like you know, you've you've earned your rest, like by and far. So, so anyway. yeah, ne- next we have uh, James Shigeta. 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 Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's yeah. That that sounds well. That's how it looks like it yeah. would be pronounced. I think it's Shigeta. Yeah, Shigeta. I think yeah. Yeah. So uh, he plays a uh, doctor. Um, we'll we'll get into the why and why what that what that doctor uh, yes position is. But yeah, he was in Die Hard. Yes. Um, I, I remembered him right from that scene, but um, he was also in a 
uh, he was a voice in Mulan, the so, uh, animated yeah. movie. Uh, crazy. Okay. So digging in further, uh, during the Korean war, cause he was actually born in Honolulu. Uh, so during the Korean war, Shigeta enlisted the United States Marine Corps where he entertained troops in California en route to Korea. The ceasefire led Shigeta to Japan where he was discharged from the Marines and hired by, uh, the theatrical vision of Toho studios. Uh, meaning, you know, the people who do the Godzilla things and other things. Toho is a big, you know, big, big studio. I, I do not big, have, big, big, big. I don't have the breadth of knowledge to explain why it's big, but it's a big deal. Uh, she got the Godzilla breath of yeah, knowledge. Oh, of knowledge, right? Um, he did not speak Japanese until Toho Studios in Tokyo invited him to be a musical star under his real name of Japan. He became a success in all media aspects of his day, radio, television, stage, supper clubs, movies, recordings, to such an extent that he became widely known as the Frank Sinatra of Japan. Um, I think that's amazing. And also in his early career, he was often played romantic lead roles. Um, which were almost non-existent for an actor of Asian descent during that time. So again, he was also blazing like blazing trails for representation. And he's a good-looking dude. Oh too. yeah, like, like uh, it's uh, it's understandable. Like we could have somebody like that, and like he had such a small and very short part in um, Die Hard. So it's like it really is disappointing. Yeah. You know, like that's his major exposure to an American audience. Well, it's almost like Franco Nier's exposure in Die Hard 2. You see him for like, what, five, six minutes? You know, like, come yeah. on. Yeah. So, not that I'm trying to turn this into a Franco Nero cast, I could, but no, but like, as I was going through the cast list, I'm like, man, there's a lot of people that have a background as being like awesome singers, you know? So, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Um, but ne- next we have uh, <laughs> somebody who has a very infamous career for the Twilight Zone. We have <laughs> Pat Hankel. Um, he was at the ghost of Christmas present. Um, he was in an episode, uh, in the, like the original series, mm-hmm. the incredible world of horrors or, yeah, it was one of Terry's favorite episodes of season four. Uh, so oh. <laughs> when I say infamous, it is, it is rough I love, business. I love this dude's career. I love everything else I've seen him in. This episode just is a wet fart of an episode. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. And I and I, like and and yeah. Um I like Pat Hingle. I don't like him in that. Um I do like him in this. But we'll we'll yeah. talk about that when we get there. But yeah, I, that's if, all I wrote. Give kind of like a little bit more reference. Uh, like anybody who's like kind of like a child of the 80s or like kind of coming up through that uh, that era. He was the uh Commissioner Gordon Gordon in the first two Batman, Batman. films, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, no, but like he, he yeah. Uh, and Batman returns. Um, uh, so yeah, there, there, there's other things he's been into that you, you just, you know, we, he, he was also a maximum overdrive, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> yeah who well, had yeah. a, a slew of, 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 of guns and armory in his gas station. So yeah. And, and, <laughs> and the, the problematically named gas station, the Dixie boy, but yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so but we've already we've already talked about yes, this gentleman yes. in the past, so we'll move on. So we have Robert Shaw in this too. Like, wow! Like the fact that we get to talk about Robert Shaw and his all of his mightiness. Uh, he's a he's a ghost of Christmas future. He was in Jaws. I think everybody remembers Quint. <laughs> like uh, the most difficult actor to to work with from what i understand um yeah like if yeah. you want to if you want to find out some like real carnal knowledge about 
some of those filming scenes and oh. look up some of that scenes of that film. So, like, okay, so yeah, so a little bit more context coming into this. Uh, he uh, in '63 he actually was in uh, from Russia with Love, which I'm not a like I need to be more versed. And Bond, I've not seen this. I know everyone says it's one of the best Bond films. I've never seen a Bond yeah. film, so like, um, yeah. I, I need to get like I. It's it's one of those things that like I used to be kind of hesitant to buy because I'm like it's like he always lives whatever. But then I'm like, Paul, you love superhero movies. I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. You know. Anyway, so um, he was nominated for an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for his role of um, Henry VIII and uh, Man of All Seasons in 1966. So two years after this. Um, he actually has a background in stage and like Shakespeare, Shakespearean acting, which again, if you watch Jaws and you see him as Quint, you're like, that guy was known for his stage work as opposed to just being like him. Like you don't, you never think for a second that Robert Shaw isn't playing Robert Shaw, you know, and Jaws. Right. But guy actually had like some pedigree. Yeah. Just eating, you know, crackers, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he was in the taking of Pelham one, two, three. Oh, like I said, I mentioned a lot of stage Broadway work. Uh, so he here. The, I'll, I'll tell two things about um, uh, Jaws. Actually, three things. Shaw achieved his greatest film stardom after playing the shark obsessed fisherman Quentin Jaws. Although at first he was reluctant to take the role since he didn't like the book, but decided to accept uh, the role at the urging of both his wife and his secretary. Here's a quote from him: "The last time they the, this enthusiastic for a role was from Russia with Love, and they were right. So I think that's great. He's like, I don't want to do it. They're like, just do it, right?" The other story I'll tell you about him is that he ha- he had constant tax problems, right? So when they were shooting the film Jaws, um, every day he'd take like a little like little um, seaplane and leave and go to Canada. <laughs> so he had to like because he was trying to avoid staying in country long enough because the that because the, the feds were after him for tax evasion. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. That sounds like Nicolas Cage or something. Like. Yeah, no, it sounds like Wesley yeah. Snipes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, like he would be known for that, but he would actually like die just a couple years later. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's like, he died in 78. So yeah, yeah um, like I, apparently like he was just, like, from what I understand, he was very difficult to work with on certain sets, especially with Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> like start, certain scenes where it looked like it was like, wow, this these guys like have a real like dynamic against each other. Like that was real. Oh yeah. They were like, no, they like, they were pissed off at each other. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like, um, yeah. So, but you want to talk about, I don't know. I I think I know who you have next. You would talk about difficult people to work with. Um, yeah. 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 So next we have, uh, Peter Seller. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do I have a story here tied to this movie? Uh, yeah. Imperial me, I guess is his character. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a. This is a gentleman that is uh, very famous for a lot of stuff that I don't like. So um, he was in all the Pink Panther films. I'm sorry, go ahead. You're like he's known for things I hate, but continue, please. Yes. Yeah, he's in the Pink Panther films. Um, he's in Doctor Strangelove, which I absolutely despise. That film. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody say, "Dude, you have to watch." Dr. Strangelove. It's an incredible film. I've seen it on plenty of lists. I'm on Letterboxd and people are like, great film. Watched it. This movie is terrible. I hate it. Hmm. Absolutely loathe watching it. And I will never watch it again. So fair thank enough. you. No, it's, who it is, it, it, it is a movie. particular kind of satire. I, fair enough. Either you're in or you're out. 
I will give you that. Yeah. Especially since I know as much as people give me blowback for not being a fan of Kubrick's The Shining, right? So I get that. Right. Like I, yeah. I think meaning like, I think you like where it's like, I tell people, I'm like, I'm not a fan. And it's like, do you understand the genius? I'm like, yes, that doesn't just because I can appreciate the craftsmanship doesn't mean I like, you know what? You're right. Uh, intellectually, I understand why all this works. I do love it. No, you know, it's just, no, and I, I watch it with clear mind and like, like the clear thoughts of like what yeah. possibly could interest me. And I'm like, I, it was nothing. It was nothing for me. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. But I will say that I do enjoy Dr. Strange love, but it's like, so here, and, but then I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a comparison. You're going to be like, yeah, this is why I don't like this guy. Um, so he was known for like, kind of like his, his character work of being able to split and like take on different roles and whatever, and be really committed, um, for good and for bad. Uh, in the nineties, a lot of people wanted to, um, call Mike Myers, the new Peter Sellers. Um, because of like what he was doing. And I know you're not a Mike Myers guy, right? I don't think you are. Um, are you a Mike I, Myers guy? I could take her. I could take her leave him. Honestly. Like after awesome like, powers. I my, yeah. I love, oh, I, I like my, uh, my girlfriend's an ax murderer or whatever the hell oh, it's called. So I married an ax murderer. That's a fun film. I oh, yeah, that that's yeah, it, yeah. yeah. But it's like after like Austin Powers, everyone was ready to crown him like the next Peter Sellers. It, it immediately oh. went to his head. Right. So, um, anyway, so we'll talk about, we'll talk about Peter Sellers here. Uh, he was, uh, nominated for Academy Award twice, once for Dr. Strange Love, um, which was the same years as we talked about that. And then another movie called being there, which came out later. Um, uh, cinematic figure. He often claimed to have no identity outside of the roles he played. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, towards the end of filming um, in February 64, uh, the, this was earlier before, like this was February 64. This film came out in December of 64, right? So he's talking about like um, the Dr. Strange love. He met Britt Eklund, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, who um, like, so they had a meeting on the set. They ended up getting married just 10 days after their first meeting. That's always a good sign. You know, sometimes it works out. Probably not with this uh, on the, like, uh, do you have any notes about his heart attack or no? Yeah. The, the, the thing I said, uh, his first screen appearance after his near death uh, heart attack uh, in 64. That's pretty much, this, I don't know what it oh, was. In, like, Terry, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, uh, his appearance in, uh, Carol for Christmas, Carol for another Christmas was after a massive, uh, sorry, a series of massive heart attacks. More about that in a second. And so, yeah, he, this was like his big, like, I, I need to see if I can act again. Right. So on the night of April 5th, 1964, prior to having sex with Britt Eklund, Sellers inhaled amyl nitrates, AKA poppers. As a sexual stimulant, in his search for the quote-unquote ultimate orgasm, and suffered a series of eight heart attacks over the course of three hours. As a result, so what the hell, yeah, uh, dude, dude, you know, got amped up on poppers, looking to have like the greatest sex ever. Had the the eight heart attacks, which was like so. That's he would have a pattern of heart attacks through his short life. Uh, you know, so after some time recovering, he returned to filming in October. So this was April. He started filming in October for this, um, uh, for Carol for another Christmas. And he, um, had been concerned that his heart attacks might have caused brain damage. Fair enough. And that he would be unable to remember his lines, but he was reassured that his memory and abilities were unimpaired after the experience of filming this. So this was his like test balloon doing a TV movie, which also, 
he forego his uh, typical amount of money for this because he was pulling in like $300,000 for each of his screen appearances. Uh, this, he actually forego all of it. We'll get into why. Um, and he only was uh, paid $350 a day, which was like union scale for this film. Oh, wow. Um, and part of it, because a lot of people actually took less money because of one, the message and two, like the intent behind it. So a lot of people ended up working for way cheaper on this. We'll get to that later. Uh, but anyway, so and when he appeared on The Muppet Show in 78, a guest appearance that earned him an Emmy nomination for outstanding um, continuing or single performance by a supporting actor in a variety or musical. That's a long title. He chose not to appear as himself, instead of appearing in a variety of costumes and accents. When Kermit the Frog, the felt puppet that had a hand up its ass, told Sellers he could relax and be himself. Sellers replied, but that you see, my dear Kermit, would be altogether impossible. I could never be myself. You see, there is no me. I do not exist. There used to be a me, but I had it surgically removed. Wow, that's that's something deep there. And I don't mean that as a euphemism. Man. No, no. And then, <laughs> and then after the, the camera stopped rolling, he's like, Hey, Kermit, you want to do some poppers? No, I'm kidding. But, um, uh, yeah, he was like, Hey, you miss Biggie, you want to figure this out? Uh, but no, it's just, he was one of those guys that was such a, he would get so like, it's almost, it's almost kind of the same thing where you hear like, you know, like, uh, the, like you get like the Jared Latos or like Johnny Depp's where they get so wrapped up in a character that they can't get away from it. That it almost feels like he he was never him. He would be like, if he can't be somebody else, he can't be anybody. Um, very complicated. I mean, he was an asshole. Like, let's let's be straight up, right? Like, but sometimes we sometimes we confuse genius like for like complexity, where we shouldn't just say complex. Like, oh, they're complex. It's like they're they needed help. And people either tried to, and he didn't listen to them or he like, there was a lot of going on with him that he needed a lot of, like he had a, a very unhealthy relationship with his mother. Meaning like we're talking like Norman Bates level of like, um, like codependency with his mother. Uh, and then when she passed, like he just like, there was something gone for him. So anyway, Peter Sellers, um, a tapestry of a person and, here, here he is in this. Yeah, and so we get a Twilight Zone connection. So, like, yeah, don't do poppers. Yeah, well, for God's sake, don't. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's kind of the the yeah. last uh, credit I had. I don't know. Okay, if you I have a couple more. If I want to run through here, I have a couple more here. Let's see who else do we have. Ba 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 ba. All right. Um, yeah, we talked about Ben Gazzara. All right. Of course, that was a half hour ago. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Britt Eklund as the mother. We see her for one one sequence, which we that she's the one sitting there knitting during the sequence with the Imperial Me. We'll talk about that later. She was in the Monster Club. Uh, she was in Asylum, which we talked about, what, like two years ago, a year and a half ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was Lucy, and Lucy comes to stay. So I figure we mentioned that. She was the, the the blonde there that was like, you know, the, the party girl, right? That we figured out there was something else going on with that story. Uh, Joe Santos is number 32. I think he was wearing a football jersey. said number 32. He is, we talked about him already. He was in the 85 Twilight Zone season one, the library. So there we go. Um, the one where the, the woman was working for the library and with the, li- the books of the people's lives. 
That's what we yeah. talked. Yeah. And then Gordon Spencer as Marley Grudge, four credits. Um, and one of them was 1962's Satan in High Heels. But when I started to take my notes, I misread that as Santa in High Heels. I'm like, that is a different Christmas movie. So mm. anyway. So yeah, all like a, a packed and stacked cast. Also, by the way, I would be remiss. Sorry, everybody. I know we're almost an hour into this. Uh, music by uh, Henry Mancini, um, who uh, we, we've, t- we've, I think we've talked about him. I, I thought we had some connections to the Twilight Zone for him, but I don't like. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, by the way, Terry, did you know? Born in Maple Heights, Cleveland adjacent. Didn't know that. Um, but he did the Peter Gunn uh, television series as well as the music for the Pink Panther film series. We know the Pink Panther theme. We all know it. Uh, he also did, um, he won, what was it? He, his love theme from, Ro- sorry, love theme from Romeo and Juliet spent two weeks at the top of the charts in 1969, which if people have not heard that theme, it is wonderful. It's one of a handful of instrumentals that hit number one in like music charts. We know Henry Mancini done a lot of work, right? Um, so other person I want to mention here, the cinematographer, because the black and whites in this really, really work, right? We were going to talk about uh, Mankiewicz being able to take like a soundstage and making making great effect with it, right? I know you want to talk about that later. I thought Ornitz, Arthur J. Ornitz, was, I thought he would be a little bit more prolific in terms of what you and I know. The two big things I got from him was Death Wish and Serpico. But I wanted to mention the cinematography because it is um, pretty, pretty goddamn stellar for a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, I mean, it looks great. I mean, especially when the scene setups happen. Uh, and the transitions uh, and the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really mu- wonderful in yeah. how it happens. So I know we took a long time to get here, so I apologize to everybody, but whew, I, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of road going into this, and I think it was important to travel it. So um, as Terry mentioned, this is following the format of A Christmas Carol, right? So we... I don't know how much you want to spend on individual elements. Um, but we, so we have our curmudgeon who is grudge. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his first name? It is, um, uh, do you want to talk about, uh, Daniel? Yeah, no, I'm talking about Sterling Hayden. Uh, what he was, uh, grudge, uh, Daniel grudge. Yeah. Um, which is funny because his first name was supposed to be something, something with the letter B. So when you shorten it, it was supposed to be B grudge, which I think is yeah. funny. But uh, anyway, there's reasons they changed that. But he, there, with him being, he's your Scrooge surrogate, right? So he's like sitting in his big mansion, 23-room mansion, we find out later, uh, sitting upstairs, listening to a song. Um, what was it? Um, oh, Don't uh, sit under the apple tree. Yeah, which is a very much in the same type of vein of like, um, like uh, oh, it, it's very much a 40 standard like peepers right? creepers. Um, yeah. A load was, of those peepers kind of, yeah, like that that's kind, how it's structured. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like boogie, uh, boogie, woogie, boogie boy, right. That's the kind of vibe I get from this song. And he's listening with a record. Player. Oh yeah. That's, even, yeah. that's a better representation of it. Yeah. But that's the kind of big band, like kind of forties type of thing. Right. So with him sitting by himself, listening to this record and you see, there's a wonderful, uh, sequence of him walking up to this big class case, and you see all his war medals and there's a reflection of him looking at it, his accolades. Uh, but then that's when his nephew uh, was Daniel. Um, well, we also have to sorry, remember that he turned, he turned off the record player. Yeah. And then we hear a little bit more of the music playing. And when he turns back, 
the record player is off. Yeah. So it's so, really yeah. spooky. I do like that. I, I'm always creeped out when record players play by themselves. I don't know about you. Well, and, and, but I think that the thing that's most memorable about how like some of the record players are turned off, it's like, it kind of, Oh, the analog part of it, it always will bother me. Right. Like in terms of yeah. like, that's, there's something like, uh, um, slow down. Yeah. That. And like, um, you and I both, um, I mean, you're a little younger than me, but you still remember like broadcast television ending their broadcast day where we just cut the static or like a test yeah. pattern. That's yeah, that like, kind of, like, yeah. just like an, uh, poster guy. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of stuff that bothers me. Like that's the stuff that like, like the whole thing of like, you know, something's not right. And with this record player, like firing off, I was like, Oh shit, we're in for something. Right. And I, I kind of, I, I did dig that, but then we get the nephew Daniel showing up. Right. And it's Christmas Eve. And so then the big thing here is that it sounds like Daniel shows up like once a year, like asking for like, you get the idea that, um, not, not Daniel. What's this, the nephew's name is it Daniel. Um, it's Fred. Fred. Sorry. Fred is the nephew. Fred is the nephew. Sorry. Daniel is the older guy. The, a D grudge. D grudge. The, the uncle Fred's the nephew. Fred shows up once a year. Uh, or so we think, right. Um, and the uncle is always like, Oh, you're here for your handouts and you're, you're, you, you bleeding heart is basically what he calls him. But we find out that Daniel um, has influence at a university that Fred works at. And they're talking back and forth. And um, what we find out is that that Fred had been working on a project to have an American professor of like literature be exchanged with a professor over in Poland that they would do like a year long exchange from a different university over in Poland so that there would be a like they call it a cultural exchange whatever. But then at last minute, even though Daniel is not like a board member, he has money and influence and yeah, he has clout. And, and Fred figured out that he made a phone call and like put the kibosh on him. So that's what they're talking about. So then what I like, the big thing is that we get the vibe that like Daniel, um, is mistrustful of like anybody that isn't American Right. And I'm boiling it down. Right. But the whole thing is like, you know, we, 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 we will eventually learn that he served in World War II, but also we also will learn eventually that his son served in World War II. Um, and that, uh, he, he has his reasons for being like, he believes that like America is this, like we're, we're, we're better off not engaging because you know, that's their problems. Like, you know, we, we are stronger, better, faster. Um, and like, you know, we don't need them coming over here because I don't trust them. Very isolationist. Right. Well, yeah, very, very much. So, uh, I mean, he, like, I think one of the quotes is like, they're on their side of the fence. We're on our side of the fence, which I um, hate that. I heard that in 2023, but yeah. So, um, it's yeah. like, yeah, right. All things considered. So the, the vibe that we're getting for him is like, we'll take care of our own. They can take care of theirs. Like, I don't like, I'm not going to approve this. Right. And so, but then Fred's like basically saying like, um, you know, things are different. It, like we need to have this conversation and people need to like, basically he's like, you know, you, things aren't where you think they are. And Daniel is staying in this position of like, we're better off by ourselves. And, um, if, if they think that basically he's like, as long as we're the superior power and we have more like guns and bombs, 
we don't need them. Yeah, and yeah. And, and the idea of perspective doesn't matter either. Yeah, like it's so it's like Daniel's very set in his ways. It's like I know enough to not need anybody, any college kid to tell me so. Yeah, like that's why he shut it down. Yeah, and it's like you know, like I've been there, I've seen it, I have enough knowledge. It doesn't matter how many college kids you put into those uh, programs. I know better. Yeah, and eventually he's saying that he he's under the idea that, well, there's going to be enough like talking and ideology that's going to eventually lead to a conflict. And then they're going to have to send people over again, right? So he's looking at it like his position. I, I think it's backwards. We'll, we'll talk about that. But his position is very much aligned with how um, – so – we talk later when we get to the ghost of Christmas past about like, you know, the idea of like, like when, when like conflicts start, like, does it really matter when, because conflict's always a thing, right? Everybody like, so we'll get that in a second. Um, a lot of people, if you ask them like, when did world war two start here in this, in America, people would say Pearl Harbor is when we got involved in world war two. It's like, that's when we got involved, but when did it start? Right. right. Like, and so, uh, the U.S. kept this whole thing of like, well, I don't know. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to get involved. It took like the Japanese coming over at the time and bombing like, you know, uh, Hawaii for us to be like, oh, guess we're going to like, you know, crack our knuckles and get in there. Right. Um, yeah. We were spectators for a long period of time. Because the, 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 a lot of people are like, well, just like let them figure it out because we had also um, gotten involved in World War One, And there was this whole sense of isolationism of like, um as much as America viewed itself as a world power, we also, it was one of those things where it's like, we wanted to exert our influence, but we didn't want to, um, you know, like, Hey, Hey, you know what? Like, um, you know, listen to us. We're, we're a big deal, but we don't want to get involved. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we want to have our cake and eat it too. In a lot of ways. And there was a big draw. And then even before world war two, um, there was actually a very strong, German, like, uh, Nazi sympathy here there. Like Terry, I don't know if you know this or not. There was actually a rally uh, in, um, was Madison, it in Square, the, Garden. Madison Square Garden? Yes. Um, yep. before world war two, that was like this big yep. pro Nazi rally. Like people don't want to think about this. Um, it just, there was plenty yeah, of people it, it here that, that were, close, guys. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. We, you, people don't realize how goddamn close it was. Right. Like, um, but then it's like, oh wait, they bombed us unprovoked kind of meaning like, I mean, what I'm saying is, um, there's a lot of political reasons for why, like people powers that make their decisions. I'm not like America was, it can't go that easily from beer halls to something like an arena. Yeah. Well, but I'm also saying like, uh, you know, America pretends to be like this beacon and being completely innocent, everything they've ever done. That's not true. Right. And that's right. true for a lot of superpowers, but yeah. So, but, but, um, grudge is holding this thing of like, you know, he's, he's rewriting history. This is 64. It's 20 years past world war two. Clearly we're on the right side of history and it's like, yeah, we did our job and you know, F them. Right. Basically. And that's why he's telling his nephew, like, you're not getting anything out of me. And the sooner you learn about like, you know, how, how, you know, this is like, you know, what, what the reality is, the better. But then, like, Fred, even as he's about to get booted out of this house, he's like, you know, can we... Like, just, he, yeah. has, he has his boots on. Yeah. He has his, like, over overcoat on. He's like, well, by the way, Merry Christmas. 
And I want you to know, too, this wasn't for just us. I want to make this apparent that it's a, for another reason. Yeah, like, we, yeah. And then we, you know, Go like ahead. we find out the other reason is like he's also there to celebrate. Well, I guess not celebrate, but remember an honor. Remember, like, not only his cousin, but, um, you know, his uncle's son. It's like because that was his birthday. Yeah, the 24th. And that, sorry, no, that was the day he passed. The day he died was the birthday. I thought it was, was his birthday. No, it was, he, 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 he died on Christmas Eve, if I recall. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it, yeah. The whole movie's kind of heavy, so I'm not, you know, whatever. So Yeah, there, there um, is a lot of content. Yeah. So, but yeah, so like in, in, that, in that breath, it's like, um, so we get Fred saying, can I have that drink? And, you know, it's like you can see the weight of the moment where it's, it's like, I know we're not happy with each other, but let let us not forget, you know, your son right now. The, the ties that and, bind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, it's like, you know, Daniel is like ready to boot his ass out the door himself, you know? Like, he's not even like leaving it up to the quote unquote servants or anything like that. He's like, he's like, basically, I mean, well, he did say verbatim. Uh, when you leave here, you leave, you know, you're gone, Like, don't ever come back. And that, that, I mean, that's some real weight to say to your own blood. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, and the fact that they're, he's able to pull in for a second, he's like, okay, fine. We'll remember him. But it's like that, that is, that's the, the thorn in his, uh, his paw is that he, as much as he served his country and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Daniel is like, you know, upset that his son died in the same, same war. And it's like, but also it's like, he blames all everybody, like everything else. Right. As opposed to our involvement and our influence and our reasons for putting young men on the front lines. Right. Like that's, that, that's the big thing there. But then, um, so yeah, they have their drink and we see the portrait, which by the way, here's a bit of trivia for you. Um, that was supposed to be Peter Fonda that played, um, the, the, the Marley, like the cousin, the son. Yeah. Uh, and so the portrait is of Peter Fonda. And then later when we see the reflection and the quick sh- shot in the dining room, that's all we see of Peter Fonda. He actually had a bigger role in the film, but they edited it out. So I think that's interesting that Peter Fonda, you know, a known name, we just see him for a second <laughs> and as a painting, but anyway, so that's, so that's the whole thing. So, uh, Fred, you know, you know, gets the boot. Uh, and then we have, we have, uh, Daniel see the reflection of his son in the door. Um, which plays to the reflection of earlier of him looking in the, like his um, display of medals. Right. And then he looks in the dining room, sees his son in there at the table. And there's a beautiful shot of the transition of him walking into his dining room where we see like the chandelier. Um, and then it just moves and there's a shadow and it pulls back. It's a wonderful sequence. It is wonderful where we have, uh, I, yeah, I will admit too, like some of those sequences, like of looking in the glass and seeing a, a, a like a person there, and then it not being there, really wor- was like effective too. It, and it's all so, in camera; it's all practical. Yeah, like that's the thing people it, forget. Like you watch it, you're like okay, whatever. It's like no, no, no. They had to do that in a take. They had to figure that out. We take all that for granted now, right? Like, and some of these transitions are magnificent. Consider made for TV movie too, by the way. Like, yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of budget there in the first place. 
like at the very least we had like some big names and it's like we had the Serling aspect of it because you know after the fact of twilight zone it's like this guy can make a lot out of very little so i think that's kind of where they were looking at too it's like oh man this guy's a magician don't worry about it yeah it's just i mean also like when after i watched this i think i put one of our group chats so i was getting vibes of like uh there was the season uh was it two episode the obsolete man uh, from the original series that had Burgess Meredith, uh, or is it the end of season one? I it can't either way. Like there's a lot of that kind of like, um, art house with like some of like the, the different use of shadow is where a German influence and some of the, like, yeah. the, but it's like, it is beautiful, right? Like, like there, there is something to be said for black and white cinematography. Like, cause they, they understood like what they could and couldn't do. And there's a certain latitude there, but also a certain amount of like, like, um, like the original, the original version of shadow play Two people need to watch that. There were some wonderful transitions in that episode, but that, that, that's the vibes I get with this. So when he goes into the dining room, uh, and then it, it cuts to like, we look up like not even cuts to, but it somehow there's a transition from his chandelier to him being the, on the deck of the ship. And that's when we start talking to the guy who eventually reveals himself to be the ghost of Christmas past. But he just looks like, you know, like, you know, every guy you'd find in like every war movie. Like, you know, World War One, World War Two, whatever. Kind of a nondescript, like, military uniform, right? And, yeah. And we find out that he is a, he's part of a transport ship that have, and that's a very beautiful and haunting image of all these wooden coffins behind him that are either draped in flags or painted in the flags of the, those uh, people's uh, countries of origin. Um, yeah. And then behind that, we have nondescript, uh, troops standing side by side by side by side, lining the background that's backlit and it's beautiful, haunting, and they're all wearing different types of military regalia, so you can't really discern where they're from. Yeah, um, and that, that's the best way to describe it. It's like it's difficult to really like kind of like focus in, like who are they? What what's going on? Like what's that headgear? And like th- there's no talk of who they are. But all the flags that you see across these caskets is, I mean, they're different nations. They're different cultures and that. And it's like, but nothing is ever focused on because that's not the idea. We need to focus on the conversation here. Mm -hmm. And the dialogue here is so great. Mm -hmm. Like, like, if there's anything I could take away from this entire uh, made-for-TV film, it's this dialogue. I think there is just something to take like and like kind of transpose that over everything that we're doing right now in this world. Yeah. So like I, I was telling Terry before we started recording, I was like, this this whole like hour and a half film is is uh like Rod Serling like chunky style. Meaning like it mm-hmm. is dialogue, 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 but it's like and and like, you know, and if either you're in for Serling's type of style of like, you know, very verbose and very uh, particular, right? Or you're mm-hmm. out. And if you're if you're gonna like if you can't take this amount of dialogue, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong, but like it is um it's kind of Shakespearean in the sense of like um there's so much going on and so much that is effectively being said. Like I, w- I was tell I was telling Terry before we started recording, I was like, I couldn't take notes on all of it because it's like, if I did, I'd still be taking notes now, but like while we're recording this, like it would be impossible of how much is being, it's so it's dense, but approachable and credit to the actor, um, that he's able to deliver it believably. So 
Like they're, and that's true to like all the ghosts in this, right? Like they, all of them are given this like incredible challenge of this, like surly uh, dialogue, heavy lifting. Right. And I think they all do it really well, but yeah, it's just like when we find out that this is a troop trans transport on its way to where, well, we don't know, but it's, it's always going. And these are all the young men that have been lost through the course of conflict not just World War One, because we figure out that, like, supposedly, uh, Grudge figures out this is supposed to be 1918, but that's not really true. But it kind of is, right? It's like sit around World War One, um, but then we find out that there's like we see uh, uh, Grudge look out in the distance, and like he supposedly sees like thousands of these boats crossing the ocean to where we don't know, but they're on their way, and it's yeah, never it's like ending. A, a river sticks kind of yeah. Idea. That, I mean, that's like, the vibe, right? Like, yeah. And so we get the ghost of Christmas past basically being like, we're never stopping. This is always ongoing. Um, and like, basically he's telling uh grudge is like, you know, the, the thing is, is like, this is what happens when people stop talking. And I think that yeah, it, that's, that's the long and the short of it. Right. I think that's the big thing to take away from it. That's you're going to say something. Sorry. No, no, I, I, I mean like that's essentially what I was going to say. It's like when you stop talking to the individuals, it's like, that's when we shed blood. Yeah. It's like, why did, why did it have to end to that point? Like, what is, why does that have to be the outcome? Yeah. And it's like, these are the, the fairies of bodies that we're always constantly going to see if we stop talking. And I think that's a, a beautiful and very articulate way of putting it because it's like, I mean, like, seriously, like I, like, and I, like, I, I, I would, I, and it's a very emotional thing that I have to uh, point out too. It's like when I went on a, um, it was a, it was a comedy bus thing that I went on with my wife and he's like, who's, who's married on here. And I put up my hand and it's like, what, what thing would you recommend to all the people that are about to get married on this bus? I said, don't stop talking. And yeah. I, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, the reality of it. it's like don't stop having a conversation with people because you never know when that stalemate is going to happen what might happen after that like yeah. it's I just generally like we have a lot more in common than we don't right and like and i understand like we're living a very polarized time and the, and the quote i wrote here was uh so as long as you talk you don't fight and i think right. that's that's the big thing here uh, because then, and it's like in there, he also gave the, like, was it the allegory of like, if I bump into somebody on the street and we have words, but then, you know, if we like, but then eventually the words stop and we start fighting. Right. It's like, um, yeah, like that's the big thing. If you stop actually and, having meaningful conversation and communication, like it's all lost. Yeah. And Steve, uh, Steve Lawrence and his, um, his delivery here it is like, it's great. I mean, he's like, he's on point. Like he's just delivering it. And it's like, I just, I believe him, you know, it's like, Hey Mac, you know, it's like, <laughs> like it's just yeah. like, he doesn't care who he is. But he, like, but he also has he that kind of like more that, money than I am, but yeah. I, like, he, like, he has that snappy delivery care. of like, you know, like, you know, Hey, see yeah, whatever. Like he, he somehow carries that kind of swagger, but also like, yeah, he's like, you know, like I'm already dead. I don't like, I don't owe you anything. I'm going to tell you the reality of this. And, and the thing is like, he's even staring down like grudges, like, you know, like basically he's like, you already know this. But I'm just telling you the obvious because you you're so far removed from this that and where where yeah. where's your son gonna be because he's not here 
it's going to take 20 years for him to be here. Yeah. And it's like, so, like that's another thing too. Yeah. Right. So then whew, like that whole thing is heavy and one, like it's a an amazing sequence, but then we get like the part of the, like, uh, man, so then uh, the ghost is like, hey, you know what? We got we to gotta go in this, this, this porthole. And he's like, what's going on? He's like, you know, we just got to go. He's like, you got to walk through. And, and Garage is like, oh, I don't know about this. He's like, just go. And so then we go from this to a, like just a whiteout like, shot. And we hear the noise of the explosion. And we know that we're walking into Hiroshima. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a good night. Um, joy, like Joy to the world, right? Holy shit. Like this is like, you know, again, this was 64. Uh, when we find out that like we, what we're going to learn there is that grudge was actually on the ground. Cause he was a commander in, like, in the Navy. I think um, he was there in 1945. This is 64 when this is airing 19 years after Hiroshima. Can you even comprehend that Terry? No, because I've listened to en- enough discussions and like what had happened and like, what continue to happen on those grounds. It's, it's frightening. It, it's, well, it, I mean, it's actually like, yeah. it's devastating. I mean, it's just, okay. just a point of reference, not to even get even more um, depressing here, but you know, you know what we're doing. Uh, um, let's see here. Uh, the Chernobyl event, <laughs> you know, hey, everybody, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, just that awesome, that. Uh, awesome one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see here. It, uh, that was 86. This is 2013. Um, yeah, that, that, you know, whenever the Chernobyl series on HBO came out, that was still like almost like, you know, almost 40 years after that event. And this is like less than 20 after Hiroshima, right? Like I just credit to, um, Mankiewicz and the people that were producing this. We'll get into why this film was produced later. Uh, and credit to Serling that they were not afraid to show, right? I mean, as best they could. Right. So, so we go to Hiroshima or Hiroshima, sorry. And we find out that Grudge was on the ground there as a naval commander and him. And, um, that's when we see, what was it? Um, Eva Marie Saint, they're in a Jeep and they pull up to like a makeshift. Uh, the whole thing's rubble. Everything, just nothing, nothing left. Like there's more rubble here than we saw in time enough at last. Right. There's literally nothing left, like no libraries, no, nothing. Just there's maybe there's like somewhat of an assemblance of like maybe what was like uh, some kind of like church or something like part, that. Part of maybe I think they talked that there was a school on those grounds. I think that's one room of a schoolhouse, right? I think whatever's left right, is nothing here. Yeah, and, but everything is annihilated. Yeah, and um, and credit to the the set design being a soundstage, it is horrific in terms of like the desolation, right? Like, and, and that's yeah. when we meet our doctor. Yeah. Um, James, uh, Shigata. Yeah. And he, he kind of explains, it's like, I hope you're prepared for this. It's like, because like, and we hear some music well, and we hear, we hear cute. singing and that's when we have, um, even Reese's character being like, Oh, it's beautiful. What is this? And he's like, Oh, it's one of the girls. And he says her name. And I think it was like blessing of God or child of God. And she's like, it's beautiful. And that's when we go like, that's, I know what you're about to talk about. He's like, yeah. These are the school children that were the here when the bomb went off and they looked up and something about that line of dialogue just destroyed me. Right. Like I'm talking like it's so simple, but also like so devastating yeah. knowing that yeah. this thing with that was unknowable and they looked up at it. 
so you knew what was coming next was like absolutely like you were waiting for that shoe to drop Ugh, so much yeah i mean even in somebody in proximity like this is pretty much what happened to him and i i there is a few podcasts that we could reference and I, I think all you have to do is just kind of look up this information. But like when I had listened to what actually happened and it's, it's traumatizing. It really is. I, I mean, like I actually cried when I listened to like what happened and I'm 40 years old. Like I shouldn't like, I shouldn't be like that outside of this information. Well, I mean, I mean, you should still be that affected greatly. though. Yeah. You should still be that affected You're, because yeah. it is like, yeah, but yeah, like, um, but the fact that we, I shouldn't have found, I shouldn't have found out about this information at 40 years old. Fair That's enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, cause we're, it's easy to hide, um, you know, the sad parts of history. Right. Um, so, or the, the things that were personally like, sorry, our country has done that they Honestly, all things considered, they didn't need to do. But um, you know, well, and there's yeah. a, there, is, I mean, like there's an animated film about this as well, uh, Ghost of the Firefly. So, like, anybody yeah. wants to watch that film, yeah, and be super depressed. Yeah, there you go. So, like, coming next um, week here on the show, Ghibli. Everybody. Yeah, Gi- no, yeah, Studio Ghibli yeah. Has, has done something. Uh, so, are you talking about Grave of the Fireflies? It's Grave of the Fireflies, right? Because I think that's because I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, like the whole thing is like. Yeah, he he warns them because they're about to walk into like this makeshift like ho- like hospital. It's basically a makeshift like I don't know, uh, walking morgue because nobody's making it out. And exactly. yeah, and he was like, you know, he, he basically tells him he's like, well, they have no faces, so you can't see. And he shows like like the the way that like it doesn't linger on it because it, again, sixty four made for TV movie. But you see these like five, six um, small bodies side by side by side, all wrapped they're in like, like gauze. Mesh over the yeah. top of them. And they're human figures, but you can't see them. You can't see their dimensions. They're like, sorry, you can't see their defining features um, because like they have been just, just like they're destroyed. They, they, they can't move forward. And all that's left is the one young girl that can sing because that's all she has left. And uh, is it even Marie Saint's character wanders out because she's overwhelmed, and then you know, somehow Grudge is like, "Oh well, at least they're children." And then Shigata's like, "What do you mean they're children? Like they're not making it." And he's trying to be like, "Well, you know, we had to be, like this is the whole thing." And he goes out and talks to her. He's like, "You know, it's calculated risk. There's the numbers, blah 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 blah," and. He even says, like, is this your first time seeing, like, this type of carnage? And she's like, well, no. She's like, I've seen it of soldiers, not children. Rightfully so for her to be shook. Fair enough, right? Uh, but then we have a little boy runs out with has, like, an eye, like one of his eyes is covered in gauze. And he just comes out and he's just, like, panicked. And then we hear thunder. Um, and he just, just freaks out and falls to the ground and starts sobbing. And the doctor's like, yeah, he will never not associate thunder with what happened. And that kid goes up to hug uh, Grudge, and he's, he bends down. He's like, oh, you know what? You need to smile. Basically, he did like the – he mansplained him to happiness. Like, lock her up. Yeah. And it was like – that. you know what I mean? Like, you know that certain type of masculinity of like, you know what? We're going to get past this. Put some dirt on it. You're good. Right? Yeah. And yeah, it's gross. It really did. And like, there really wasn't a change in the child's demeanor either. It's like – well, what, he didn't understand thought, English. The kid didn't understand. What the was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other part is like, he doesn't understand English. So it's like, what the hell is he supposed to do to come him? It's like, 
Yeah. Get away from the kid. Like, let the doctor, the doctor takes, uh, like a little bit of yeah. a, like a thing right now. But then they, they drive away. Basically he's, he has uh, resolved himself to be like, well, you know, it had to be that way. But then we also, there's a nice cutaway, like of seeing the Jeep drive off with, we see the, like the, the double for our, 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 you know, our Sterling Haywood, her, um, they drive off and we see him and the ghost Christmas past watching this. And you can tell that like, um, you know, grudges, like you could tell, like it, 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 you know, you're ripping open these past wounds, right? A little bit. Um, but then I like, um, there's the bit where the ghost tells him, he's like, all right, well, you got to go through here onto the next thing. Like basically walk back through the hospital door. And he's like, well, like I, I can't follow you, but I love the line. He's like, I'm then in there is now. That's such a goddamn good line. Like, it's such a good line, right? Like, um, so that's what he walks through. And then we supposedly think that uh, Grudge is back in his house, supposedly back in his dining room. Sorry, his mansion, his 23-room mansion. And there's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful set of this long dining room table with, like, the one chandelier and everything else is in shadow. And that's when we meet the Ghost of Christmas present, Pat Hingle. Uh, playing a much better role than Horace Ford. And we see the ghost of Christmas present, which we'll eventually find out. Tim sitting at the edge of this table, just indulging. And like, there's so much food laid across this table and it's all decadent. excess. Yeah. Decadent. Right. And he's just digging in large Turkey leg, like it's a Renaissance fair or if he's playing or if he's Hagar and what is it? Streets of rage picking up this Turkey leg. Um, he is digging in. And he's licking all the knuckles of yeah, his fingers. It, it, nah. Yeah. And it's, it's very much like this kind of like uh id type of thing, right? Where it's like, he's like just voracious and indulgent and decadent. Um, hedonism bot, right? Anyway, Futurama, everybody look it up. Which, which yeah. da- Daniel was like, how can you, how well, dare you? No, he's like, he's just basically being like, this is my house. What are you doing? Right. And he's talking about how he's like, I'm the ghost Christmas present. I'm the like, basically he's like, I've lived in the moment I consume. This is what I do. Right. And, um, and credit to Pat Hingle. I was going about to call him, uh, uh, hat Pringle, whatever. I don't know. It's sure enough. Right. <laughs> Pringle can Pringle can Pringle can, uh, Pat coming to you this Christmas season. Um, but then the whole thing is like, he's, he's pointing out like that he lives, he, he's living in excess. Cause it's like, you live in like a house of like 23 rooms. And like, this is like, basically he's like, why are you shitting on me? This is what you do. Right. And, uh, I know I'm short circuiting the conversation, but it's a, it's a wonderful back and forth. Uh, like again, the dialogue here is like, you could cut it with a knife. It's so thick and rich and wonderful, um, and depressing. But there's a sequence here where, like, again, where I was just like, oh, my God, like, I love this so much because the way that this whole thing's set up, it's like this very one singular shot of the chandelier, sorry, light source of the chandelier on this very long uh, dining room table, right, or whatever. And you got uh, Grudge on one side and the ghost on the other side. And then eventually... Uh, we get, um, we get the ghost to pick up a bell to ring it like for service. But then behind them, like there is this moment where the lights turn on behind the table, like in the background. And we see that it is, um, an internment camp of sorts. It, I mean, belongs I mean, it is, it, it's displaced people during the winter in this area that has, it's very foreboding, uh, barbed wire. They, there's like, you know, fires, uh, people are just trying There's, their best. They're all kind of like you know, everything yeah. is snow covered. Yeah. Um, and when I was describing the sequence to my wife, she's like, Oh, 
like the Japanese internment camps in like World War II, like where George Takei was raised. And I was like, no, but I also was thinking, you know, if Serling could have shown that he would have, right? Like, um, you know, but it's like, it's, it's not dissimilar to these displaced people. And as they're there suffering and then like singing their songs of uh, celebration of the, of the, of the season, just trying to have something to latch onto uh, grudge is like, how can you eat in front of these people? He's like, how can you? And it's like, basically just because, because you're brought face to face with it, you feel disgusted. But if the lights turned off, which eventually he clicks his fingers and it goes off again, he's like, does that make it better? Cause this is what you do all the time. You ignore like basically he goes into this have and have nots discussion about like, you know how he it's, it's like to boil it down. It's like, you know, the 1% versus the 99, right? Mm. Those that are, that can celebrate it, it, it's, it's it, like certainly isn't saying the word, but it's privilege, right? Of position. It's privilege of, yeah, you believe that you've earned every bit of this and that you do not have, you don't owe the world anything and you can sit here and indulge. But even though you are acutely aware that the majority of the world does not have this, somehow this is not your problem because you took care of yourself and you and your own. And they play that dialogue back about him talking to his nephew, right? About basically like, you know, their side of the fence, my side of the fence, we see a literal fence, right? And whenever grudge is brought face to face with this, he has that kind of fake indignation about like, well, that's not right. And the ghost Christmas presents like, this is what you do all the time. He, he's calling a spade a spade and grudge can't handle it. Right. Exactly. I mean, like, I mean, even now as like, uh, you know, like here we are in 2023, it's like that, that, that message is so clear and so pronounced. Like it's sad actually, because like we have hot dog eating conversations and that like, whatever. It's like, what, what are we doing right now? Like there are the haves and have nots. It's like, you know, well, it's like, even, I'll even go a different direction with that. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like we, yeah, we, on the 4th of July, we have our big, like, you know, like excess hot dog eating contest, like whatever, like I get it. But it's like, even was a few years ago. And I understand that like the border is an ongoing issue with this country. And there's a lot of shit that needs to be figured out. Like, rightfully so, because there's a lot of like terrible, terrible goddamn things that are happening. There was a bit a few years ago, whatever, uh, and even though it's still happening, which people forget about that people that are trying to cross the border and seek like asylum and citizenship, um, they're being split from their families and these kids put in like, you know, basically it looks like dog kennels, right? Like it's just, I'm not trying to oversell it. It's bad. Right. And right. there was somebody walking around a diner and like, I think like Texas or whatever it was like, and they're asking like people like, how do you feel about this? And this one lady said like, don't you dare make me feel bad about those kids. Like basically she doesn't want to have it brought to her front step, right? Because then you might have to reconsider your position. You might have to reconsider how you view the world, right? So she was upset that the reporter was literally asking her about this terrible situation. And she's like, do not do, you know, how dare you bring this to me? You know, And that's essentially what Daniel is in. Like the same, the same freaking, like, like he has to, he has to, faces right now and so we get the the uh, ghost of present it's like why 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 is this a big problem for you it's like 
if the lights are turned off, like it's still a problem. It it doesn't matter if you see it or not. It's still happening right yeah. now. Yeah. It's like you could put blinders on, but you you know you're aware of it. It's just you you have the comfort of distance and and you know, because also too like the we people often forget where it's like, well, you know, like America's da, 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 da. it's like we didn't actually have any physical conflict on, on our you know, continental United States for World War II. I mean, there was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, you know, and that was bad. Under- and that's when we got pissed off. Yeah. yeah. But there was like, but after World War II, uh, what was left, right? Um, Europe was like just in shambles and destroyed. Uh, Japan was destroyed and in shambles. Of the major players, who was left intact? So we could, we could easily like just brush it off and be like, oh, you know what? We're good. Like clearly the rest of the world will figure stuff out. Like we just, we're, we're the heroes, right? Like that's, that's the vibe I'm getting from this. It's like, we don't have to think about this, right? We don't have to think about, you know, it's just, I, I despise, and this is me like righteous on my high horse, whatever, like, you know, um, that this was 64 and we're in 2023, you know, like 50 years plus, right? Like, I mean, what? 60 years from this and somehow when are we going to learn, you know, like where, where is like, you know, it's so easy to just like ignore. And I understand that we're all guilty of that. We, we, like you and I, we, we're in a privileged position. We really are. Right. But it's like, it's one thing to be aware of. It's another thing to actively ignore it and be like, no, things are good. Screw them for not figuring it out and being better for themselves. You know, that's, that's what's going on here where it's like you have your success and your excess. Don't pretend that there isn't that you're withholding from others. Well, I, from my point of view, it's hard to articulate, um, how disappointing it is that where we are as a civilization that like we can't do better and then do better for somebody else. Like we're just trying to like put this gaze over like, like, oh, yeah, we're trying to do better, but then we're not doing better. Like, like that's, are, that's are been you the talking thing for like the yeah. last like 40 years. It was like, yeah, we're trying to do better. It's like, but it's like we're not, we're not actually trying to progress. Are you talking you know? about like the thoughts and prayers thing where it's like, well, you know, I do hope to do better, but it's like, don't you dare take from me, where it's like, it's not yeah. a matter of taking from somebody else. It's a matter of making sure more people are welcome at the table. We actively you know? have to do better than that. Yeah, like that, like, I think that I think that is the thing that really is like, don't pray for somebody. Actually, actually, do take something. action. Do, yeah, do something. If you better. feel if you feel so like compelled that what you see is wrong, do something. You know, like I mean, we're we're a small podcast that you know it's like, and we're talking about something from 1964. Do better than this. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm good. I, like, I get it. Like, I mean, there's there's always things that we could be doing better with, right? I'm not trying to absolve myself of my my laziness and my, you know, just be, you know, being who I am. But it, 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 I guess my thing is like, I, I don't sit here and pretend to be like, oh, if they could only just help themselves, you know, like, you know, if if the tables were turned, how would you handle this? You know, right. like. Um, so when we get to the next bit here, whenever, uh, grudge eventually just like feels guilty and he's like, I don't want to look at this anymore and runs out of his dining room 
his big dining room. And then we get the sequence of him running and then everywhere he runs to is he's being fenced in. Did that yeah. remind you for a half second of that first segment from the twilight zone movie with Vic Morrow where yeah. he was being placed in like, you know, I mean, as much as that's a problematic segment for sure, because we know what happened there. Uh, there were at least we had the bit of him feeling like he couldn't escape and he was being, you know, like forgotten as much as he was like, like freaking out. I like, it also makes me think of uh, what was it? Death's head revisited. Was that like, I, I think you and I talked about that. I don't know if we did. It was original episode. We where, did. We, yeah, yeah. We revisited it. Yeah. No, it, like <laughs> was that, was that season? That was season five, right? Where the, 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 the German officer went back to the internment camp. Yeah. I think that was season five of the original series. Like that was just the, the same type of vibe of like, you like, Oh, you've lived like you, you've been given, or I should say, um, y- like y- you've had the convenience of comfort so you could put distance between reality. But when you're actually up against it, like you freak out because it's like, you know, now, oh, like, like how many times have you heard people where they've changed their positions because um, they were able to keep it in the abstract until it happened to them? You know what I mean? Like where it's like, oh, um, like I had this hard position until it happened to me and I realized that maybe the world's a little bit more gray than I thought it was. Yeah, that, I mean, because you, you never know. Like it could happen to you at any one point. I mean, yeah. like, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't want to, donate to this person's uh, cause it's like then all of a sudden your son is lost it's like yeah but well, it's like the same thing it's like people are like oh like i mean like people's position on like you know like gay marriage or whatever it's like oh i'm a hard line and it's like until you're you're like you know your child comes out and it's like suddenly you're like oh i've been brought this different re- like like somebody lives different than me that i care about maybe i need to reconsider my position you know like I know that. I mean, maybe I'm not saying that correctly, so I apologize to everybody. I, you know, I've, um, I've, this, this is a hard thing to talk about. This whole movie's a hard thing to talk about. So, you know, um, you know, I, I'm not the best person to speak to it. But like, I, the one thing I've learned, the older I get, that you, you, you have your beliefs. However, if there is empirical evidence that is brought to you that maybe you should reconsider your position, at least review that before you re like reaffirm your position. If you just live in this very closed in shuttered ideal, um, like, I don't know, I guess good for you. I can't do that. You know, like the world's too big and there's way too many different people. They have so many different walks of life and so many different lives and so many different histories who am I to be like, you know what? It's never happened to me. So like, like, you know what, Terry? Sharks aren't real. I've never seen a shark in the ocean. How can shark attacks be real? I've never seen a shark. I've never seen a million dollars. So I'm always asking for <laughs> I a mean, race. To be fair, I've seen sharks and like, you know, like behind glass. But I've never seen a shark in real life, like attacking somebody. That never happens. Which, I mean, that really, really doesn't. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you know, um, you know, it's just, I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, the whole thing, him freaking out, which I thought was a very effective sequence. And then him looking up through like this, like hole in the ground, he ends up seeing, uh, Robert Shaw, you know, looking like a wizard. <laughs> like, I love that image of Robert Shaw's cloak. I was like, holy shit. That's Robert Shaw. Like, 
being like, you know, sexy drunk Gandalf. He's not drunk. I don't think he's drunk, but um, that's effective. I, I just, I loved that uh, transition. I thought that was wonderful. There is a weird, like, um, Wonderland kind of thing going on here. Like, cause like even the, the hat, like seems so like ornate and like, Oh, you're talking, yeah, that. you're talking about, um, when we get to the Imperial me. Yeah. But we get to yeah. Robert Shaw, you talk about, yeah, this kind of fantastic, like, yeah, we go from, um, like history, reality to, um, kind of a conjecture, right. To absurdity, which, so Serling's in his wheelhouse in all three parts in this, right? Uh, we, when we get to the future, when we find out that uh, Grudge is now in a bombed out Tom, Tom Hall, Ty, Town Hall, Tom Hall, not in this movie, Town Hall in this film. Uh, he's talking to Robert Shaw, who's the ghost of Christmas future. Um, that is um, a beautiful set because it's so broken and disgusting looking, right? With the, with the way all the timber is broken and everything else. Like, you worry every single time somebody mounts anything that looks like a set of steps that's going to collapse and kill them. Like, we, we, we worry that the future killer is tetanus, right? With all of this going on there. But we see um, the ghost of Christmas future, uh, Robert Shaw in, like, this cloak and hood talking to our character about, like, uh, Grudge is like, well, this is the town hall in my town. And we get like these generalities about like, it is sometime in the future. Can't tell you when, cause time doesn't matter anymore. Um, somebody got mad at somebody bombs. Were, like we're sorry. Missiles were launched. Somebody launched other missile missiles. Um, basically I do like the, um, the specific hand waving that certainly writes into this where it's like, it's not important who started it because the retaliation was always the intention and there's nothing left. Right. I think that's important to get across. Yeah. I mean, like, cause like everybody's going to, uh, make their own civilization after the fact. I mean, we've seen that in a lot of different storylines. Well, so but it's even, like, whatever. Even, yeah. It's like, we even, aftermath. we don't even know like who did what, right? Like we don't even really know, um, that it's like, um, like, like the film, the, the book and the film, the road, we know there was an event. We don't know who did what, but those that are left on the ground level just have to, like, that's it. Like even remember, um, there was that episode in season five, the old man in the cave where it's yeah. like, we knew something happened, but we don't and, know what but they had to, they had to rely on somebody for knowledge. Yeah. So. But like, you know, like the common man's not going to understand like, you know, like, well, did we launch first? Did they launch first? We don't know. And that's, so the ghost of Christmas future, not like, not like being like, I don't know, nobody knows, but we're here in this town hall. And then as they're talking, and that's when we get this, like, you know, pep rally, like the, like the most surreal pep rally ever where people come marching into this town hall and everybody's cheering, cheering, cheering. And that's when we get Peter Sellers uh, being brought in uh, like on a uh, throne, right? Basically a throne with four guys carrying him in like manservants, but they're all wearing football jerseys. Did you notice that? Like, yeah, um, it was yeah. really weird. I don't, I don't understand yeah. that at all. I, whatever. It's just, you get the idea. It's like, you know, like, but the, I think the front, I think all of them, the front said, uh, well, his hat, that is a cowboy hat that the, the top of the hat, is cut into a crown, but there's sequence that says me, you know, spelled a M E on him, which, you know, almost like I didn't know Arby's had that mascot then, but here we are. Mm. Um, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but then 
he, uh, his, like, credit to Peter Sellers, as much as we know is he an asshole, and he's coming back from a significant cardiac event involving taking uppers trying to have sex five months before. Uh, he is, like, the darling. Like, And then at one point, he, they, he waves to two girls, and they freak out like they're looking at the Beatles. I don't know if you know this that or not. Like, they lose their goddamn minds to this guy. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously on purpose. Uh, he goes and mounts the crickety steps to the podium. And like, I also like that he grabs the microphone and it's not connected to anything. I don't know if you noticed that or not. There really isn't like the microphone does nothing. It, no, it, there, yeah. there's, there's nothing there. And like, a, that's like a really curious thing in itself. Yeah. It's like he, he wants the, he wants to be this mouthpiece, but there's no connectivity, but also he has um like a large gavel. I forget what the actual can it's, it's a makeshift thing. We're living in fallout world now is what we're living in fallout for. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it really is like a, a tin can at the end of his gavel. Yeah. yeah. So he, and, and, and so Terry, like I'm going to, I'm going to guess that you were like, I am not quite sure what he's talking about this entire time. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I I was like, I was confused the entire time. So, I've okay. watched this twice. So and here, like, here, here's the way. About? Here's the way I figure it. All right, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Is that he like so these this group of people like what 30, 40 people that are actively cheering him on because he has uh, since his his cowboy hat crown which. I also like that he kind of looks like he's wearing like a Santa coat. Did you notice that? And he also has like six shooters, like, in his, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a like rock yeah. holder or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, coming soon to Fortnite. Anyway. So, um, he talks about like this cult of me, the individual, right? Like we're all part of this thing of me and I'm the Imperial me. And he's saying that like, there's people across the river and, and down the way that want to talk to us about our problems and our solutions. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, you know what? They, basically he's implying that like, they want to bring their problems to us, but you know what? We're me. We're indi individuals. And he's talking about, it's a very selfish point of view. Like, your problems are your own. Like we're focused on me, I, the individual, right? And meaning that like um, our society is perfect and it will get more perfect in a minute. We'll talk about that like a little bit later because it gets way darker where it's like we're not bothered. We can't be bothered to deal with other people's issues because our concerns, my concerns me is all that matters. It, it is the, it is the crystalline version of like the isolationist ideal that uh, grudge has been yelling at his nephew the entire time. It, it's not just going from a nation to a state, to a city, you know, to a County, to a city. It's to the individual. This is like that kind of isolation. Me, it, it doesn't matter. Like if it's, if it doesn't bother me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. That's the crystallization. This is how the world has gone to hell. It's been bombed to death and all that's left is a handful of people and all they care about are themselves. That's, that's what I got from this. Yeah. And at the same point, while he's realizing all that information, um, he's watching the person that he's 
employed. Yeah, no, no. So yeah, no. So you're talking about grudges watching with Chris, the ghost of Christmas future. They're off in the distance and we see, uh, his, his servant, which I mean, whatever, well, like well, that's a whole thing, right? Like his higher. Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, I know. But I mean, that, that, that gets a little weird at the end of this. Right. But then we get, um, Oh, um, one second. We have Charles who we, yep. we know that, uh, grudge has as like his Butler, but Charles and it's his wife, right? We like, we, I think it's his wife, right? Well, like, well yeah. Charles is, uh, trying to interfere. He's like, like it's it's more than this. It's it, it, like we we have to like be better than this. And he's looking for a way out. Like it, really, well, he, it's it's he feels like he's he, the last breath of humanity. And even even um, the Imperial me is like, let him talk because he's like, yeah, let him spin out in front of everybody. Like, and that's kind of what they let him do because yeah. when he goes to an upper level, it's like there's nowhere to go. Well, yeah, so because he, 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 like, yeah, he states his argument, which I don't know, man, do you get shades of like night of the living dead here a little bit, like a little bit of where it's yeah. like the one yeah, guy speaking I, the I, voice I, of reason. And it happens to be a person of color. Do you like, do you get ben, a little bit of that? But Ben did it better. I, um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think he had more to say here. Like the, the gentleman here, right? Like, um, because he's basically like, you know, we, we can't lose our humanity. We got to, we got to worry about our, like the only, the only way we're going to survive is if we all work together and we can see the Imperial me just like, like just hamming it up and be like, well, look, check out this guy the entire time. Right. Like just understanding that like, Oh, you're going to be the sympathetic person talking about like the, we and the us, um, which I don't know. I realize I feel like I'm talking like in kind of like a Dr. Seuss kind of like, you know, nomenclature, like not nomenclature, but like vocabulary. This is where we're at though, in terms of like him talking to the audience. And it, I, mean, yeah. I mean, like that, that really is like the, um, the, the gravity that we give to the character. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, like as much as he has a voice, no one wants to live or listen. It's like, so finally when, everybody sees him at his top point. It's like jump, jump, you know, the, cause they force jump, him. They force like he runs away and he goes, which I, that's the one thing that makes no sense. How he walks up. Like he runs up to the side of this, like, cause he's worried. Cause well, first before he gets a chance to speak, the crowd starts to like beat on him. And then the Imperium, he's like, no, let him talk. Right. So we get to that. And then he eventually runs up to the right side of the set and goes up to this area. I'm like, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but anyway, but his wife's watching on and he's like talking to them. He, he, he yeah. should have attacked to the, like the, the mic. Yeah. He should have, right. He should have, he should attack the me, right. That would have made more yeah. sense. But dude, dude like, has a bad ticker. Wouldn't have taken much, but anyway, so, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also we got to mention too, in the background, we have, um, uh, Britt Eklund, uh, who play, who's playing the mother who's just knitting and we see the son to the right. What looks like the son of the Imperial me who looks like Mike TV from uh Charlie and the chocolate factory there. Right. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, sitting there dressed in full uh, cowboy regalia. Did you notice the but box? Like, just sitting there. Yeah. The box. She was like, ha- like she was knitting. There's the box that was sitting on her lap. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Nah. Um, like, yeah, but we'll get to that in a second. But so like we have Charles, like, you know, telling everybody, like, like, it, keeps you know. On, it keeps on looking back. It's like, what's going on over here? What's going on over here? Everybody's like, jump, 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 jump. It's like, what, what, what is this like a nineties, like, like, uh, yeah. like dance song? 
Like, what's going on? Well, because everybody's quiet and they're watching him. And then when then somebody says jump and then the whole crowd starts yelling this guy to jump. And it's like, it becomes like, what is this? The mist? You know, like, you know, we demand, uh, we demand blood or whatever. Right. Like, you know, um, uh, yeah. Uh, is there some Marky Mark stuff going on here? Yeah, like, yeah. What's going on? Uh, but then we get like the, the mother and then the, the kid. And I think, um, oh, the box is something to the effect of like, uh, like, uh, like, just like daddy's is what I think the box said. And he pulls yeah, a gun out. Did. He pulls out a six shooter. And this kid who is just trying to like, you know, I don't know, gain the approval of the crowd or the dad just shoots Charles and just kills him. And I'm like, all right, that wasn't good. Then it's way worse now, you know? So, so then you know, Charles falls to his death and everybody's super happy about it. Um, so that's messed up. Yeah. I don't know who the kid is. And that's also yeah. why I didn't want to like yeah, put Mike the credit TV. for the, the mom. Yeah. Like F yeah. that mom, F <laughs> that kid. But it, how indifferent she is to it, right? Like I just that I think there's something to be no, said she, there. Yeah. She was excited about it and everybody around her was excited about it. It's like So what's the point? Yeah. So then it gets even it gets even weirder, right? So after that the Imperial me is like, all right, well, we're going to go um, kill everybody. We're going to, like, the purge is about to sound. We're going to go kill the people across the river and down the way. And then once we're done there, because we are, we are me's and we, like, this is our society. The perfect society is that once we get rid of them, we're going to turn on ourselves. And the last person left standing will be the perfect society because it, that it's one person and they can dictate what happens. And that is such a dark thought, but it's also like, if you keep boiling down, boiling down, boiling down this like isolation of like, I don't care about anybody else, but myself, that's ultimately where it's like, that's people don't want to say it out loud, but that's what they want. Right. Yeah. Really? I mean, <laughs> you can't confuse it now. Yeah. That's what it, they it, want. It goes from the, the like, the like from the me's and then there's the, I think he says the civilization of I, right. And it's like, it's very abstract. It's very, you know, uh, number 12 looks just like you like type of things. Yep. Right. But it's like, but it's like, it's absurd, but it's not where it's like, if you are so insular in that, like F them, everybody else, what you're saying is that you want to live in a world where nobody can tell you anything differently and it's just what you want. So, yeah. So what you want is a civilization of I, and I understand that this is uh, very abstract and absurd in terms of like the way it's portrayed, but sometimes absurdity shines the, the greater light on reality. Right. So I think as much as this is a, um, like to be a fly on the wall, during the original airing with anybody watching this, it just makes me wonder. They'd be like, what the hell did we just watch? You know, like, <laughs> but there's a lot to unpack here. And I think that you and I and our like people watching this now were more like, I think, I, well, credit to Serling that he wasn't like talking down to anybody and was able to use this like absurdity to speak to a greater truth. Um, I think that, we are much more equipped to understand that like, Oh, this is absurd for a reason. This isn't real. Right. Um, but yeah, like 
it is, it's a hell of a thing, especially implying that once they kill everybody else, like, guess what? We're going to purge each other until one, like what last person standing. And then they, they get all of the cookies, right? Like, I don't know, like that, that is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really is difficult to like wrap your head around, like what's going on anymore. <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh, it's December of 2023. There's still a lot of stuff going on right now that no one wants to explain, <laughs> but somehow we're in the mix. Like we just happen to be in it. Like people are dying, but no one, no one has a great explanation for it. Oh, no, no, no. People, people ex- can understand why decisions are being made. No one wants to own it. And that's, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to, like, I... Uh, quote, unquote. No, I just, I I have my opinions about what's going on. And I, like, who am I? It, but anyway, but yeah. It's, if, if you're staying up to, death, up to date with this stuff, like... <sighs> Go out and vote. Well, that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like in terms of the the greater. No, but even. Okay. So like even like the greater geopolitical things right now, there's times where it's like there's part of the country. It's like, well, we shouldn't get involved. It's like, uh, well, we, we, you know, we've stuck it. We stuck our dicks in so many different pies at this point. Like we, we need to, you know, there's like, we can't, we can't actively choose when to not engage when we have done so much to change things. Right. Like whatever. Anyway, it's just this whole, like, but the whole like, but Sterling was speaking to this greater isolationism of like, Oh, you know, it, it becomes reductive where it's like the perfect society is just one person. And I mean, that's true because if there's one person left who, who could tell you you're wrong. Right. And so the fact that like grudge is like, Oh, that's not what I wanted. And the ghost of Christmas future is like bullshit, you know? You know, like, this is exactly what you wanted. And then I love that, like, Grudge is like, well, what year did this happen? What's this going on? And Grudge is like, I don't know. Oh, look, it's it's your butler that's here. And then somehow he's upset that his butler is, like, you know, the brunt of it. And I also like he asked the Ghost of Christmas Future, he's like, did I live long enough to see this? <laughs> that's a very selfish statement, right? To be like, I don't know. If I died before all this happened, I guess I'm good, right? That is... How many people are like, well, it's not my problem anymore. Like there's so much here to unpack, right? And there's so much here. And, um, my God, like I can, I can understand why, uh, when it's aired, people are like, I don't know if I like this, <laughs> you know, Serling, Serling, uh, never met a punch. He wouldn't pull, I'm sorry. Would not pull. How about that? So, so Yeah. We get past this. He's like, oh, I don't know about all this, right? And then uh, we find out that, like, uh, he w- uh, we have uh, Grudge waking up in the morning, and he uh, his his nephew shows up. He's like, hey, you called me at 3 in the morning saying some weird shit. <laughs> and then Grudge is like, you know what? Are you an apology? You know, maybe maybe we need to be more active uh, as the, you know, our – basically he's saying, like, our position in the world being a superpower, maybe we need to be more aware of this. By the way, I want to point out that he didn't tell his nephew, I'm going to, you know what? I'm actually going to be okay with doing this cultural exchange with the professors. That never gets spoken to again. Did you notice that? No. Yeah. I 
there was no conversation about that at all. Yeah. Like there was no talk of a Christmas goose. There was no talk of anything, right? Because you expect you expect the Scrooge to come out of these three ghosts to be like, I'm a changed man. But then but all he says is like, I owe you an apology. And then like he he lets his nephew there and be like, Oh, okay, thanks. I was on my way to church. Thank you for like we don't know if he drove two hours out. Like we don't know how inconvenienced he was, right? He parked his monster truck outside. We don't know, right? But then um, you could tell that grudge is shook, right? He is shook. And then um, he hears um, music, right? It's it's carols um, that is being played live from the UN of the sons and daughters of the ambassadors singing Christmas carols in different languages. And he is like, you know what? No, children's voices need to be heard. Fair enough. But then he ends up uh, wandering into like uh, the kitchen, right? And that's where we have his butler and maid preparing his coffee. And he's like, you know what? And what was it? the music was playing and they thought that it upset him. So the Charles went over and turned it off and then Grudge went over and turned it back on. He's like, you know what? I think I'll have my coffee in here today to imply that like he has a lot to consider and ponder about what happened over the last night. And then we get credits of him just drinking his coffee. Did you expect that? Not, not at all. I actually thought that was wonderful that the, the credits were running while he was just like sitting there looking out the window. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I did wrong. Like, just yeah. like the, the, the thought process is yeah. like in those eyes. So, you know, you could tell that this was a man conflicted and actually trying to reconsider his position. Right. And yeah. the fact that it played over the sound of like these carols being sung and him looking out the window and like a little breakfast nook drinking coffee. Um, as, as much as I thought this was a sledgehammer of a movie, I, man, I kind of, I like, I really respect the ending. Like I really, really do because uh, can somebody change their whole value set and then pers- their personality 24 hours? Maybe. Sorry, 12 hours, right? The idea of the Christmas Carol is like a, like an overnight situation, right? Um, the fact that it's like he was like left like unsure and him considering like his place in the world feels way more realistic to me. Then like, and then making making a call to his nephew that he doesn't remember too. Yeah, and then being like, "I owe an apology." Doesn't mean he's actually going to course correct, right? But like, he has a lot to chew on, and and like that means that leaves the audience with a lot to chew on. And I think that that um that Carol for another Christmas that title fits appropriately, meaning like, um, it, we need to think about where we're at. So we could have another Christmas because the, where like the way the world's going, we may not. And that's the vibe I got from this. And it is, um, dear God, this might be one of my uh, favorite adaptations of this type of like story. Um, do I ever want to watch it again? I don't know about that, but the balls to write this and then present this on television to dare people to consider their position in this country about the consequences of the actions those in power have taken, but somehow 
we're, we're supposed to like be able to live blissfully unaware. Christ, that, that this is such a big swing. And this is where I think this type of story is better than, Oh, a rich man realizes he's an asshole. He's going to pay people better and buy a goose. This is like so much bigger. And it yeah. is, yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing to me. Yeah. I, I don't think you can explain it anymore. I mean, like you took the words right out of my mouth. I think everybody needs to watch us. Like every, every single person, like, because it really does understand a lot more of the under like underlines of like the person that is like suffering and that like, I mean, you need to focus on how every little decision affects everybody else. And like this stuff, I mean, God, for God's sake, this is from 64. Now we're in 2023. As you're listening to this, everybody's affected by every decision you make. Yeah. The world's gotten smaller, right? Like honestly, right? So like it's, you can't just, close your doors to everybody. Right. Like, and I understand in terms of Christmas Carol, like, you know, maybe well, one Dickens was just writing to make money to pay for, I, I forget, like either he was, had a bunch of kids or a bunch of de- debts, probably the same thing. I don't know. But like, and it's like, it's one of those things is like he hit upon an idea that has, has worked like in multiple iterations, right. Of like, you know, showing somebody what they've done, what's going on and what could be very important. Like you mentioned Scrooge earlier in the episode, Wonderful adaptation of that as well. I love Scrooge. Right. Um, also a dark film, right? Like I just, dude, dude, yes, very, very dark. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but this is like it doesn't just take the individual; it goes to a global scale, right? And I think that's where the swings, exactly. the swings are big, and it's like. Um, and yeah, like at the time everyone's like, it's a little preachy. Sorry, it's a little like it's too preachy and too ham-fisted. It's like I don't know, like. Clearly, um, we're not learning our lessons. And so also, so this was 64, right? Um, so to give you some context, um, this was a little over a year after Kennedy was assassinated, right? So, uh, Serling was brought to DC to actually write uh, some speeches after like in the wake of the Kennedy assassination, because the, the white house contacted him. They wanted him to write some speeches. He was struggling with this and we can also see, in his, some of his later episodes of the twilight zone, like we mentioned, uh, I am the night color be black. Like he still had this frustration with the way things were going. So if you're going to tell me that he, um, had a lot of grievances and didn't end this on a positive note, understandably so, because he wasn't in a positive space when this was written. Right. So, and he's not wrong to call out, Especially, he was also, what was it, was he, um, oh, we, we talked about his war service before. He's a combat right. veteran. Um, I don't have the specifics in my head right now. But he had somebody actually pull him aside that, like, something happened where he would have died if somebody hadn't grabbed him. So he had a lot of trauma. And he actually would say that when he went to college after his service was like, I needed to find a way to get this out of me because if not, it would kill me. Right. So like, and I'm, I'm misquoting him, but it's like he, his trauma of wartime service and also like in, in service of wars that maybe, you know what? Like a lot of young people were sent there that 
didn't need to be. And they were fighting wars on behalf of other people that weren't talking or listening anymore. Like it's just Jesus Christ. And then knowing that this was just as Vietnam was starting to pick up and as much as the U S wasn't acknowledging it. Think about that. Like just like you can understand why people were upset about this, but because somebody's upset about this doesn't mean it was the wrong thing to do. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The, the, I, I think there's a lot to take away from this, this episode. I, I, I implore people to watch this like in its entirety. Like, it, it, I mean, it really is an incredible message. Well, and also too, like, so like to speak to this further, this was the first in a series of television specials commissioned by the United Nations. If you, if you didn't notice, Grudge was like arguing with his nephew about the United Nations because they talked about the League of Nations, which was uh, something that was pitched earlier that was never committed to, but the United Nations eventually became a thing, right? Uh, with the goal of educating viewers about the mission and the work of the UN, thereby gaining more widespread support. Six specials were originally planned, but only four were produced. So this was the first. Uh, the nonprofit Telson Foundation was formed to develop the programs, and Xerox agreed to contribute $4 million to underwrite the cost of the production at the airtime, allowing the programs to be broadcast without commercial interruption. So thanks, Xerox, for making everybody's nights terrible. Um, I'm kidding. But the fact that they realized that this was important enough and they believed in the mission of the United Nations, which, you know, like the world isn't perfect right now. Clearly it's not. Uh, the world is better with the United Nations than without it. Right. Cause the United Nations were created after world war two to kind of have everybody keep talking. Right. That's the point of it. Everybody keep talking. Um, and the fact that the United Nations, like, maybe we need to educate people about this. Hey, Rod Sterling, what do you want? He's like, I have some ideas. And he just put a cigarette out on his, like his forearm. Like, he's like, I don't feel pain anymore. Let me bring you something. <laughs> like, um, also too, by the way, do you remember like the intro to this, this movie is all like very much like old like school, static <laughs> like yeah. sleds and horses and yeah. jingle bell. You're like, Oh, you know what? This is nice. I, I just, you, you know, that gif of like Chuck Norris looking you straight in the eyes and punching you in the face, like that back and forth, boom, boom, boom. Like you could tell Mankiewicz is like, you guys think you know what's coming? You have no idea. Like, yeah. You, know, you, you see the stuff we didn't have to pay for? Yeah. yeah. But also like, you know, everybody's just, remember Christmas when it was nice? This is not nice Christmas. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, it, oh. it didn't work for all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. But I, okay. I know we're two hours in. Sorry. We're, 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 we're roughly 15 minutes longer than the special itself. But, um, how, 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 yeah. how, how punch, punch deep are we? Yeah. Right. Just, this is a son of a bitch of a, of a movie. It is. Um, I'm glad I watched. I'm glad I got to talk to you about it. I'm glad I'm aware of his existence. Right. So that, yeah, I mentioned that this didn't get aired again until 2012. <laughs> I love everyone's like, Oh no, that's just, we can't have that happen again, but it's a wonderful life was shown. I think approximately 1 million times between the time, you know, it entered the public domain. Um, and that's a Good great Lord. movie too. Don't get me wrong. Right. But like, I, this is one of those ones. It's like, I'm not saying this is going to be in my seasonal rotation. Like I'm not a big holiday guy. Um, however, he's more of a tree bench guy. I'm more of a, by the way, I, uh, brief aside, um, uh, this past weekend, um, uh, we had people over to our house. Uh, 
uh, Samuel of at the Devil Ball at the Devil's Ball. We had his wife over before he came over later. We 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 forced her to watch Revenge, um, and I enjoyed it. He showed up a moment after it was over. He had never heard of it before. We need to educate our friend Samuel of Revenge. He's never he's never seen it. Can you believe it? It, it's sad. It, I mean, it, like everybody needs to spread the gospel of prevent. Yeah. So everybody watch Carol for another Christmas, um, be rightfully depressed and then watch revenge and then laugh your ass off. Like that's the, that's the cleanser, right? Revenge is amazing. That, I mean, that really is like, that's a it's like, juice. it's like 15 minutes. It's amazing. Watch revenge. So yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I was explain it better. Yeah. It's right. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Any other, any, anything else you want to say about this before we rate that twist? Dude, I, I think everybody's a husk after watching. <laughs> it, so, yeah. Fair enough. All right. Rate that twist. Uh, twist rating is always is one through five, meaning one we saw from a mile away and five meaning mind blowing. I don't know, man. Um, I, I, I did expect this to be, you know, very Sterling messaged, but um, I'm going to give it a five of how every single of the three ghosts, how hard each one hit for a made for TV movie that was post twilight zone did not see any of this coming. It was like, I, um, I will admit there was a couple times where I paused to go use the restroom and come back. Um, so I, I was not afforded, I, I was afforded a different luxury than anybody watching this when it aired. <laughs> Whew. Um, there's times I had to get up and pet a cat cause I'm like, I can't deal with this right now. You know? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give it a two because I, I expected like the, the Carol kind of a implement, like we need something to show people like your decisions make bad decisions along the way like i that's what i thought like fair enough i knew like it was a moral story well i knew Um, that i just the way this just how hard it would go that's i did not see that coming so that's that's for me so oh hiroshima and a christmas carol okay like it was two 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 because i'm like man that first story good lord I mean, no one's ready for that one. Yeah. No one is like we, we, we put it out there to our, our listeners. You're going to like, I mean, get your tissues ready. Oh so, yeah. This thing, it just, it just it's like, it, it just keeps punching you over and over again. Rightfully so. Cause it's like, you know, anyway. Yeah. Whew. All right. That's going to do it for our twist rating. Um, yeah. You all can find us on, uh, <laughs> Facebook at, at Strange Highways. I do have some images. It's mainly the ghosts. I didn't get into some of the other things. Uh, Terry, I promise you, there's no uh, Hiroshima imagery that I'm going to post in the images. I'm not Good. a monster. <laughs> you don't have to punish our listeners anymore. No, but everybody go find this. Go find this film. Watch it once at least, and then and then you know what? Um, while you're having like your you know holiday meals, be like you know everybody. I did watch. Everyone's like, we should watch a Christmas film. You're like, you know what? I have one, right? That, no, don't do that. Um, anyway, watch Revenge first and then 
Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, you guys could like email us directly at uh, strange highways podcast, gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast rate reviews would be greatly appreciated. And Terry, where could you find us otherwise? We are still on Instagram and we are waiting for you folks. Um, I know we don't post that much, but <laughs> it's not our images. So, but like, if you still love our, uh, you know, like what we're doing on this podcast, tell your friends, Tell your, your your tell honestly. Tell people that you don't like honestly. <laughs> tell them. You'd be like, hey, I don't like your you. neighbors. You're like, hey, I don't tell, like you. Do you want to be depressed for two hours? Just listen to this uh, this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially yeah. this episode. Yeah, right. So <laughs> like, yeah. I, 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 yeah, and then like give them some tissues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go do it for our discussion about a uh, Carol for Another Christmas. Uh, let's talk about what we're doing next. And now, Mr. Serling. Uh, we're taking the week off. Everybody enjoy uh, the Christmas. If you celebrate, if you don't celebrate, enjoy the, the official business day off on Monday, which is which thankfully I know the last two years it's been a Saturday and Sunday. I do like having an actual day off from work, right? I think that's awesome. So enjoy your actual, if you do celebrate your day off from work and then celebrate the new year. Uh, we'll be back after that. Um, we're going to be talking, we're going to be jumping right back into uh, season two of the eighties iteration of twilight zone. It's season two, episode eight, the card. Um, I didn't write any other information, so I literally have no idea what's going on with that. So that's fun. So, and like, and like everybody have a good holiday. Uh, however you choose to celebrate it. If you don't, then, you know, again, uh, just be good, like, be, like enjoy yourself and under like everybody just talk, keep talking, less fighting. How about that? Enjoy an underwear free day How about that. So this is Christmas and what have you done? Just begun And so